coming up in this episode. What is it that you need? You know, mm -hmm. what is that in the business? You know, if you could kind of put together those pain points, open up your Z drive to us. What spreadsheets have you got currently? Right, let's mm -hmm. look at those and can we make those work together and, and make it a cloud-based thing? You know, rather than having to deal with spreadsheets and, and kind of you know, manual information that sits there doing nothing. You know, let's try and make this information work for you. We seem to appoint managers with no formal managerial training all the time in every business. And that's a recipe for disaster because, if, like, like I said, like top performance doesn't equal they can be able to you know, manage people effectively. Managing yeah. people is a really difficult skill. And there are very few people in the world that have that skill. And just being good at the job doesn't mean you should lead a team of people who do that job. Like there's a lot more to it than that, but that's usually how it works in sales, especially. And on the same day, I received my redundancy notice. I got a job offer working for Marshall Bridgewater. Um, and again, it's because I, that army thing about me, I couldn't, there was no way that I could be without work. That was my, mm. my, my fear was that if I, if, if I, if I am not working, if I'm not earning money, then I'm not supporting my family. I'm not going to do what I really want to uh, achieve in, in terms of get, having a good life. The Founders Unplugged podcast. Hosted by Greg McCallum. Raw, uncensored conversations with startup founders. Hello, Richard. Greg, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Not too bad at all. Good to see you again. As you probably noticed, it's uh, it's recording straight away. That's just how I like to do it. Um, so I, I always mention that because of sometimes at the beginning people say stuff and oh shit, you need to edit that out. <laughs> we are yeah, we are recording remember. and uh, yeah 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 exactly. although you can swear as much as you like i don't give a shit um yeah, <laughs> that's fine um if, if that's your bag obviously um but no just just so you know um so yeah tell me man how's how have you been since we last spoke it's been a while since we originally spoke hasn't it yeah yeah no it's um yeah it's good all right we've uh we're kind of progressing with um our customer base um right. so we've had a um an ongoing conversation with the customer for a while we've kind of um, pivoted our business well not pivoted the business but um kind of brought forward something that was on our roadmap for later on down the line a little bit sooner um, right. because it was something that they were looking to they were looking for um you know our, our business and our product is all built around pain points within the motor industry so um they came at me and said we've got this major pain point that we need to fulfill before um, you know, we, we still want your first product, but actually we need to fill this as well. Um, we looked at our development team and they said, yeah, crack on, you know, we can do that. So, um, so yeah, so that's working um, and moving on quite nicely. Um, and then um, we, what else have we done? We, uh, we've been nominated for an award. Oh, wow. Cool. Um, which is pretty cool. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a self-worth based thing. Um, mm. It's, um, uh, it's a not working networking. Um, uh, awards um, known as the Notties, uh, set up by an ex Exeter Chief Rugby player. Um, and yeah, we've been nominated for Best Small Business Award, which is pretty cool. Um, oh, brilliant. When's the, uh, when's the sort of announcement or awards show or however it works? Um, middle of November um, right. is, is, um, yeah, is when it all kind of comes to a head. I've got to be honest, it's one of the things that I've never had, had to kind of do anything like that before. So it's just a case right. of it's happening at some point. That's all I know for now. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know, you know, it'd be nice to attend that kind of thing and just to see, you know, the fruition of a twelve months worth of hard work to get to where we are now for it to yeah. be kind of recognised, uh, you know, as a as a you know, as a thing. It's pretty it's pretty cool. Um, yeah. So yeah, 
uh, and what else have we got going on? So I've been, I've personally been nominated for a um, a CEO of the Year award for for a different different one, um, and right. I'm I'm yet trying to work out whether I sponsored that one because ultimately there's only three of us really in the business, um, right? You know, and one of those is kind of like part time. So you know, I've, do I feel a bit fraudulent if I was to go? Well, actually, yeah, <laughs> sorry, I'll go put my name. I'll go and you know, I'll go and reply to that. We'll go, yeah, yeah, I think I'm that. Is that one of the ones where they're like, you know, you've been nominated, you need to pay us five hundred thousand pounds, and then you know, no, uh, yeah, no, because I mean, that, I've, I mean, I've seen a few of those, a few, of those yeah, yeah, in, but no, again, like the Notties, this is one that has been kind of, I've been nominated by some, I don't even know by who it is that's nominated me. Okay. Um, it, it might so the people in the business are my, um, so my business partner, um, a guy called Gareth. Mm. Um, I know it's not him because he said it's not him. And right. the other person in the business is my other half, and she definitely has nominated me for anything like that. So you know, because ultimately I've still got wallpaper and stuff to do at home. So um, you know, <laughs> she doesn't care about well, awards or the fact that there's still like painting and stuff to do at home. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the priorities of the wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's um, cool. But anyway, yeah, we got you some have, shareholders, yeah. so maybe it's one of them. You know, don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But yeah, there's a lot of dodgy ones out there, isn't there? I'm always a bit wary of them. I've had I've had loads of yeah. messages over the years, and I'm just like, well, oh, you know, well, why do you need the money for, man? Like, it's just, yeah. it's just it just sounds odd. Like, you know, oh, especially the ones that ask for donations. They're like, you know, you choose what you want to give. I'm like, well, that is rigged, then, isn't it? Because you're clearly yeah, yeah. towards the person that gives you the most. Nice. Like, you know, piss off. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Well, look. Uh, before we um uh, sort of get too far into it, there is there's um there's not a huge amount of structure in the show, like I explained to you before. <laughs> Um, um, uh, other than just like just two people chatting, but um, the one part that, that that there does exist is at the beginning usually where I ask my guests to introduce themselves to those listening yeah. and watching, and a bit about the business. And um, while you're doing that, I'll probably share some 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 stuff on the screen of your your profile and your business while you're doing that. So, um, so yeah, yeah cool. so, so 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 the mic is yours, as it were. So go ahead, and, and I'll do that as you as you're cool. Yeah, so so um, you know, my name is Richard Hannaford. I am the um, CEO and uh, co-founder to DealerDoc. Um, we have actually had a bit of a name change just recently because we were going through some um, stuff with a different with a marketing company to kind of make ourselves a little bit more understandable. Um, so we are going to be dropping the com, um, but we uh, we kind of were born out of uh, 15 years of my life in the motor industry, um, where I kind of started off as a sales executive and I've kind of done a varying roles throughout my time, um, you know, up into management and up into general management of dealerships itself. Um, and uh, kind of, I developed tools for myself really to make my life easier within my time in the trade. Um, you know, that ultimately had an effect on the business in that it made, you know, it, it, we were more profitable. It gave us more um, ability to um, to do stuff, um, and it gave me more time, freed up more time for me to be able to concentrate on the business rather than on the business, if that makes sense. Um, so uh, I had a chance encounter with a um, with a guy who was in. Um, software for the motor industry. Uh, he saw. I asked him for some information because um, it helped drive what I was using, uh, and he kind of said to me, well, "What do you want that for?" And when I showed him, he kind of, you know, it was almost, you know, that moment when someone smacks you around the back of the head, mm, and you yeah. go, "Oh yeah." And he said, "Do you realise that there's nothing out there like this at the moment? You know, you realise that this could actually work for other businesses." And I was like, "Well, I guess it could because it works for mine and everywhere I've kind of moved on since." Um, using it where I first kind of brought it about, um, I've kind of put it into and it's kind of done its job, you know, so. Um, so then uh, I literally kind of, you know, chucked £10 at um, whatever it was to HMRC and registered the business, you know, as and, and company's houses and kind of registered the business. And then from there, um, I've kind of had a bit of a, 
a whirlwind slash you know um uh, eventful trip journey um to you know, to, to get where we are now so uh, originally we were looking at um, building the conventional way um, and looking for somebody to kind of build a platform for us and we were looking at quotes from between 50 and 80 thousand pounds to kind of create this site and we were just like oh um, and then you know it is very much a chat you know through chance encounters through friends of friends we uh, we stumbled across a company called DQ Ventures um, which and James Green who um, he kind of we kind of got in touch and had a chat and he was just like yeah no I like what I, I kind of like what I see and we kind of built up this um, this relationship and he coached slash you know kind of prepared helped us prepare to to look at um funding mm. um and um yeah and and kind of introduced us to um blue mongoose and, and toby Sprague at blue mongoose who has then helped us develop our platform um you know so the the tool, the tool i used was basically a couple of spreadsheets that bolted together and, and worked really well together um and they've taken you know and hit uh, toby and his team at uh, blue mongoose who've taken those that framework and we've created now a, a cloud-based platform um, that does the does the original uh, functionality of, of what I have the spreadsheets, but a whole raft of other things as well. Um, you know, which just kind of aid and help the motor trade in general. Um, and yeah, so we've we've had our um, uh, pre uh, pre seed fund. Um, we were aiming to raise two hundred thousand pounds. Uh, we ended up raising three hundred and fourteen. So you know that was pretty cool. Um, you know, to kind of find people that kind of believed in the product, and I think that's one of the fears. Is uh, you know, as many founders will soon find out if they're um, if they're heading down the same route. It's one of the fears is, am I going to be able to get this somebody to you know to, to actually kind of believe in me and believe in us mm -hmm. as a as a thing? So um, you know, to kind of come out, you know, and almost 150 percent of our original target, or just over 150 percent of our original target, is yeah, was 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 quite an achievement. We thought, yeah, that's amazing. Um, so yeah, and now we are. Um, you know the, the the portal is uh live and it's you know if we've got it in one dealer that was um doing our original test mm. um you mentioned we've, we are in a conversation with a um another group at the moment so this is a group of 10 dealership sites mm. um and it will just give um everybody within that business the um kind of a live view on the numbers and the information that is important to them um, and you know, that's the whole premise of the portal. It's, um, you know, it's it's not just for one group of people within a dealership. It's not just for um, you know somebody at the top to look and kind of try and use the information to beat other people. It's actually free flowing information that is live, delivered to the relevant person according to their role within the business. Mm. So, um, you know, for your owner, managing director, or whatever. You know, some of the kind of the, the head honcho of the business, they can see the whole of the business, you know, in a screen, you know, and they can, I mean, it, and this is at the moment, it's just the sales, but, you know, the kind of the after sales and the parts and things will come in later on. Um, but it just gives them an overview of what's been sold, what's been delivered to the customers, how much money's been made, where's the money been made, and how are the dealerships performing, you know, so that's kind of the big hole. And then as you kind of work kind of down through the, um, uh, through the hierarchy, um, you know, you, then levels of information kind of almost reduce or are kind of just twist that little bit to give the right person the right information. So um, working the way down through to the sales executive, um, who are often the forgotten majority, um, uh, and a platform is designed to give them uh, the key to the door. Um, it's, the, you know, it's the idea of, of empowering them to 
uh, really push themselves and then kind of profit the business by giving them their commissions in a live status. You know, so on the 15th of the month, they know exactly what they are currently earning or what they should earn by the end of the month. Um, and that's what to know. You know, the idea being that if there are penalties in play because that's part of the commission scheme, they're shown live so that that sales executive has the ability to do something about it between the 15th and the 30th. Because up until now, and, you know, it is still a very common thing within the industry that sales executives find out three days after the end of the month what they earned last month. Mm. Um, and they have no ability to do anything about it. You know, they everyone says to me, well, surely they just sell more. Well, yeah, but if you haven't got any clear focus, they could sell more. They could just keep on going, 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 but they burn themselves out and they've got no clue what they're earning. And, you know, when they get to the end of the month, they have an idea or they have a, a you know, a, a mindset that says, I've earned X amount. And then they go in and sit with the sales manager and the sales manager goes, ah, yeah, but those customer satisfaction scores, they weren't good enough. So you've been docked some pay there. This finance, you know, this customer bought finance off you three, four years, three, four years ago. You know, that's now kind of, um, they cancelled early or it was you know, kind of it ended abruptly by way of a court order or whatever. Um, so the finance company have pulled the money back from us. So we've pulled the money back from you. Mm. You know, and it's those things that, you know, when it gets to that meeting, the salesperson then goes, oh, about right. £300 taken off of me rather than being you've earned x mm. they will naturally because that is just the way the human race is they go the dealership has just taken the money off me so you've then got yeah. demoralized on the negatives exactly and they're three days into the month they've, they've, they've kind of just been kicked in the teeth and told that they've earned less than they were expecting and you know you've as a sales manager you've then got to try and re-motivate that person to go and do it all again right. with the idea that they're going to have the same pain in <laughs> in a month's time mm -hmm. so the idea of opening this up and making it live for them to see is that when it comes now to then to the end of the month, the salesperson doesn't focus on the, I've just had £300 taken off of me because they haven't seen that that £300 hasn't existed. Mm. This is what you've earned. We get to the end. Do you agree that we've got everything down? You know, there might be some discrepancies where, oh, yeah, you missed the gap insurance that I sold. Not a problem. Mm. That's a benefit. That's a plus. You know, yeah. the negatives have already been accounted for. So then, you know, that meeting then doesn't exist, you know, so you take then a, a day's worth of time out of the sales manager who would normally have to sit down with each of his staff and kind of go through that and, and suffer that conversation kind of multiple times. Mm. It removes that. It removes the, uh, you know, the day that the sales manager has to sit there and calculate the salesperson's commissions mm. to then deliver. You know, all of a sudden we're giving a sales manager back two days of his time and he's then able to use that throughout the month to try and drive the sales guys by using the live information that's tangible to them mm. um, you know because it's all well and good saying you know you're three away from your target here's that stick you need to sell three more yeah you know the ability to change that conversation from that to being you know if you sold three more this is what it would do to your wages mm. what a massive difference what a massive change to um you know the mentality and the mindset of that person kind of going Shit, yeah if i do sell three more it is that mm. you know so, yeah, highly motivating as opposed to demotivating. And I suppose also the other element of that, you know, the time in regards to the sales managers too, is that they, they spend a lot of time preparing and calculating this to have those meetings that like you said, but also to 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 submit that data to to their bosses yeah. um, and, and to give them the overview of what's going on. And they they can be very impatient and breathing down the neck and saying, where's this data? Or there's a discrepancy in the data. You haven't done it right. Da, 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 da. Why have yeah. we got numbers? Whereas again, if it's all in real time, everyone is, is, is there's no surprises for anyone. It's all there. It's it's transparent. 
um, yeah. and so everyone can kind of is prepared for the outcome. Um, and like you said, more importantly, can do something about it before kind of the end of the month is reached or the end of the quarter is reached and actually be proactive in, in changing the direction of, of the outcomes of things before you get to that point, right? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, then so things like forecasting is done, you know, actually with live data rather than data that right. was from the weekend, you know, because, um, you know, I've known it in the past where general managers have been given information on a Monday morning and then three cars have been, three cars from the weekend have cancelled. All of a sudden, right. his forecast is completely blown out the water, but he knows nothing about it. Yeah. He's actually going into a Monday afternoon meeting with his peers, with his kind of seniors, um, and going, this is where we are right now. As you can see, we are here. Yes, we have three cancellations, but that's where we are. And this is what we are now forecasting to do. Makes yeah. it so much easier, you know? And, and um, here's what we're planning to do to amend that. Like, and, absolutely. And that's the you have the time, like you said, to then to plan and strategize and go, right, we lost that. So this is what we're going to do. And we think we can make up for it in the next week or whatever, you know? Yeah. Exactly it, that. Just, and if you, sorry. sorry. Yeah, yeah. And if you think about, you know, um, if a sales executive is told on the 12th of the month that he's losing a hundred or that he's, you know, or that he sees the 50 pounds, you know, come out of his money on the 12th of the month or their, sorry, their, their money on the 12th of the month. Um, the only way that they're going to be able to replace that is by selling something on top of what they would, you know, so they, they've then got to kind of twitch their mind to try and selling something new. But if they sell that extra thing, the dealership profits because mm. there's that new thing sold and if that product is you know if, if they or if or they you know they get docked because a customer's cancelled their finance so the next thing they try and do is they try harder to sell that finance to the next customer that customer then takes the finance who profits well the sales guy does the dealership does the group does but also the finance company because they're replacing the money that they've lost because the customer's captured their finance early mm. you know so again it is that whole kind of trickle effect of, of, of just doing a little bit of something different down here Will have a massive effect kind of you know across the across the business yeah yeah and a lot of it plays into mindset like you said of like just that that motivation factor because it's key for, for being in sales like we've both been in sales in our in our lifetimes and it's so so important and a lot of the processes in place seem to be almost purposely designed to demotivate you like and it's like yeah. you know, i've never understood that and i've always tried as a, as a sales manager myself to try and reframe things but inevitably you're always up against it when you're doing it when you're forced in the situation where you've got to present things like that where there's only so much dressing up you can do of the informational the delivery of the news like ultimately it because of the very format of the way it's delivered it's going to have that negative impact and then like you said you've got to spend the rest of them the week or the month trying to re-motivate again and again you're in this constant cycle of like yeah. battling human psychology and it's just a waste of everyone's time you know data is what it is like it shouldn't affect people that much but the transparency of it i think is a super important thing but what's really surprising to me out of all of this and i remember this having the same feeling when we initially spoke is like just the shock that this doesn't already exist like because you know you've worked with some pretty notable dealerships and groups in the past like, mm -hmm. I find it hard to believe that the likes of Mercedes, for example, of which I'm, you know, a fan. I, I own a Mercedes, and I, I, lo I love going to my Mercedes dealership. They have nice coffee. Um, <laughs> it, I find it hard to believe with all of the like technology they have and the system they have that, that organizations like that just don't have this kind of thing in place. I mean, like I would assume that they would, right? Yeah, and um, you know, it kind of it, it lends itself to a kind of the bigger. You know, even the bigger stuff. So whilst you're looking at, you know, the groups like Mercedes-Benz and stuff, if you look at the, the likes of, um, you know, Marshall Motor Group, you look at mm. um, Virtue Motor Group, um, you know, there are stats galore and they've got the information there to hand. Yeah. Um, but I can guarantee that you could walk into one of those dealerships now and say to the sales guy, how do you know what you, how much, how much are you earning right now? And they would probably pull out their own spreadsheet 
yeah which they've kind of concocted themselves to under try and understand what it is that they're earning but again mm -hmm. that spreadsheet won't hold all of the information because they won't necessarily be told about that finance cancellation until the end mm -hmm. of the month you know yeah, and that's where yeah. this kind of is born from um you know when that I, information exists it's just not it's just, just not trickled down far enough and yeah, yeah. And, it's, and it's kind of gathered at the end of the month when everything's reconciled and then it's a case of you know here's that massive kick in the teeth mr salesperson you know you know earning what you're expecting to earn um what your platform you know, is basically doing is, is letting all of these sources of, of, of data communicate with one another um and then obviously being packaged in your portal as you say to to be delivered in a way that's like easy to digest and easy to understand presumably. and hopefully motivate i mean that's the other thing is that, um you know the, the the tool so whilst yes okay we're delivering the the information to the sales go about their commissions about how much they're earning in kind of pounds it's also telling them you know it's giving them like a a, a red amber green because in the in the industry we love a rag red amber green yeah yeah um <laughs> And it's so it's giving them a kind of a quick shot at their own key performance indicators, their own KPIs, you know. Yeah. So it shows them how they're doing in terms of finance and gap and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And um, one of the progressions, or one of the things that we are looking to, excuse me, get the, um, um, the, the the tool to do, the platform to do, is to highlight those. Um, you mm -hmm. know, to, for, through the use of AI, what we're hoping to try and do um, is to. You know, almost like the the, the old um, Microsoft Word um, paperclip that used to tap mm, on your thing. Yeah. It says, "Have you saved this document?" Almost have that and say, "Do do do, you've delivered four cars and only two of them had gap insurance. If you spoke to those two people and you sold one more gap insurance, it would do this to your wages." Mm. You know, because it's mm. easy enough to calculate. It's just numbers. It's just computing. Yeah. It's just a calculation. You know, so having that, um, you know, having that ability for that app when they load it up and it says you're earning this much and it says but you could earn this if you did this. Mm. Boom. You know, what a massive drive. And that salesperson goes, well, blimey, I've got five minutes on my hands. Yeah. You know, whereas, whereas as it stands at the moment, most of them will just go, I've got five minutes on my hands. I need to find my next customer. Yeah. Whereas actually, it's they a, could actually go and pick a bit of low-hanging fruit and go, I might just Right, it's guy. already there. Just pick up He's the been out on the road. He's, there's a potential that yeah. he might have written off his car in the last couple of days because there are idiots on the road all the time. You know, so that gap mm. insurance, you've still got an opportunity to buy that for up to 90 days after you bought the car so did you have a look at that you know we could do it on not percent yeah. fine you know and just kind of give a, a, you know just change the conversation a bit more and you know what's the harm it, it just everybody everybody profits everybody yeah. prospers when you sell the extra bit you know see i love that you said that because this is something that I, I i talk about quite passionately with with other founders and 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 in fact it was it was as a result of working with a client of mine a founder client of mine who who kind of mentioned this recently uh, well, i say recently a couple of months back talking about how you know great software um should you know save time save money make more time make more money but brilliant software should do the unexpected basically yeah. it was kind of the essence of what he said and i love that idea because not enough people are doing that with software everyone's everyone's doing the, like we just said you know the basics of building something that has a, a pretty obvious value proposition in of itself which is all the things that you've just said in describing the platform but actually when you're able to put something into the into software which is the great thing about software it's like magic you can do this that actually com comes out of nowhere and just says by the way look how useful i am look how look how because of the the data you've given me look what i can now suggest and mm. that sort of unexpected value is like that's i think where the difference between yeah a great platform and an amazing platform one that one that can go like almost viral amongst a, yeah, a specific industry yeah because it's mm. because then it's like wait a minute i don't just recommend this because it's useful for that you know the reasons you mentioned but i recommend this because it's actually helping me it's advising me make more like way more money than i've ever been earning 
and that's like an endorsement that you just can't beat you know yeah absolutely you know? especially when people log into something and they get a general idea and they go okay yeah, i get this but then it's like wow i didn't expect that that's that's blown my mind that's what people yeah. are missing i think in a lot of software solutions these days so it's, yeah. it's great to hear you say that you're going to you know do something like that oh and that's where you know when it comes to think when it comes to the motor trade the motor trade have got um you know they, they they're probably one of the most tech heavy um um or SaaS heavy should i say um industries mm. because they've got a product for everything um, yeah. but the trouble is the majority of that technology was created 50 years ago and the basic premise behind it remains the same mm. um and um you know as you know as much as i love the industry i love the kind of interaction when i was working you know that it was very much a case of that's the way we've always done it so that's the way we do it right um yep. you know and that's part of our that's part of what we're trying to do now yeah and i mean you know and, and don't get me wrong you know the, the it, it it does it you know and the, and the industry is you know is one of the most profitable um there's a lot of work that goes in behind it you know and, and they and they've got some fantastic kind of um you know they've got fantastic products for one thing i mean some of those cars are just absolutely amazing um but um but when you look at and i mean i i've i've got i've gone through it and i've looked and i've pulled apart you know a dealership and as to, as to what it is that they actually have and they have 50 to 60 different products mm. that all do different things but the ones that they buy this the system that they use probably has a whole load of other functionality that they don't use because it's useless so they've yeah. got another they've got another tool that does that but that tool that they bought to kind of replace that bit there also has other functionality that again is useless you know it's not i mean that's that's not really common that's really common in b2b SaaS generally with with all industries but yeah i can imagine especially in a you know really tech heavy industry like like the automotive industry but yeah it's a really common common problem and this is my point like why i think that if a, if a platform can be a bit more proactive and saying like hey have you th thought about doing this or we even better we've done this for you we've calculated this for you as opposed to just feature after feature after feature which mm. is like you know it can be overwhelming like you know especially you know there are tools that i use to run my business and i'm sure you do too to run to run your business the way you just know that there's so much more in the in the software that you just don't touch because yeah. if you just think to yourself i haven't got the time to even fucking learn how this works yeah, like, let alone, exactly. let, alone, let alone set it up and use it and like the problem with software and i think the opportunity where ai has come about is that it should just be able to understand what you're doing and go okay i get you could probably benefit from this i've taken the time as the software to set some of this stuff up for you and yeah. make it more intuitive so look here's the result instead of requiring you to do it because there seems to be this assumption that we have unlimited time as business owners to explore all the software and the features and all that it's just not practical not true You're, yeah you know, I, I often i often say to people when i'm working with them as founders you know when we talk about competitors that you, your direct competitors aren't just the tools in your specific industry it's every piece of software that exists yep. <laughs> like, yeah that's yeah. your competitor because your competitor is, is attention attention everyone wants your attention you know so that's the hard yeah. part completely <laughs> completely and yeah. um you know i mean that um you know I, I can i can sit and talk about um the the platform that we created originally for days um you know because in creating this from what it was into what it is now is highlighted so many other bits that it just does right. you know that you don't even expect it because i mean whilst we're talking about you know the sales staff and stuff the, the 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 motor industry has one of the highest turnover of staff 
you know the attrition mm -hmm. rate within the motor industry is so high and it's because of the disillusionment it is because you know a lot of the time they they see you know the, the people kind of see the the nice shiny car and they need to see a nice big pay packet and they put the two together and they go wow and then they don't realize the kind of the graph that goes in the background but also then that kind of that level of you know beating and, and the stick rather than the carrot yeah yeah um, so um you know so that so the use of this tool can then it can reduce your attrition rate mm. you know so then you're paying less to train staff because they're staying for longer you're paying mm. less for you know the things to keep them happy and you're paying less to kind of keep them happy because ultimately they're able to do that themselves they can keep themselves happy by self-managing using the tool um you know so there are just so there are there are loads of other kind of little bits in there little kind of bits that it just touches on that just helps in other areas you know the time for one um you know i tell you that you go in and speak to a sales executive about how he tracks his commissions currently he takes time out of his day to fill in his own spreadsheet mm. remove that how much more time has that guy got mm. yeah so if he's got you know if he's if they're, if they're spending 25 minutes a half an hour you know a day filling in bits messing around bits taking time out of their day to play around with it to see what they could potentially earn mm. if you remove that that's half an hour a day you're talking about two and a half hours a week a phone yeah. call to a customer can take about half an hour that's five half an hour phone calls that the, that, that sales guy can then make to mm. potentially sell another two products that then he benefits from <laughs> the, the the dealership yeah. benefits from and 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 you know yeah um, yeah and you know again a lot of people kind of look at me and kind of go well you know blimey why, why you know i don't want to give myself don't tell myself sex what they're earning and it's just like, well why not hmm. what can possibly go wrong yeah i'm um, interested to know have you ever heard a proper reason for that <laughs> mm, yeah yeah because if once they've hit their target they might not want to sell any more right okay yeah and you think to yourself well then that kind of boils down to well actually have you got the right team of people if they're not hungry enough to smash their target and, and try and earn more because surely that's the purpose of a salesperson is to try and earn as much as they possibly can. Yeah. They're not just hit their target and go, I thought it, I'll put the next cars into the into next month to make my life easier. You know, mm -hmm. if they've um I, I've got a um I had a, a lovely memory of when I kind of was first kind of created this tool. Um and one of my um sales execs at the time, great girl, really talented, really good with customers, real good, you know, huge attention to detail and had, you know, and uh, you know, was very, very promising in terms of sales. Mm. um and i kind of I, I put the tool in place um and we i got a whatsapp message from her on the group and it was her face and she's pulling a stupid face in a photo and it said that feeling when you've looked at your commissions at, in halfway through the month and realize you've already hit your target mm. and she went on to almost double her money you know but she was just like halfway through the month she was like i've done my target it's amazing did it stop her from going any further? No, did it help? Because she mm. realised then that she had a massive opportunity to go and make loads more money because she could right. have the time to sell more cars and, and 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 you know and and that's the that's the feeling that we're trying to you know trying to do is that um, we're trying to um, harness that thing that they want in the dealerships. They want this morale. They want this kind of fist pumping kind of yes, I've done it. Yeah, yeah, of well, course. So if we give them and show them that and that, and that salesperson goes, I sold that car. Yes, that's a you know 50 quid in my pocket. Mm. They're going to want to go and do it again and again yeah. and again and again. You know, so it's, it's, and it's also the sales that. manager's job to foster that too, right? That's kind of the point of the role is be like, hey, fucking yeah, man, yeah. you've hit your target. Like, I tell you what, if you're able, if you're able to do this much now, then I'll I'll treat you to this. Like, keep, keep that yeah. momentum going. Like, that's Half their that job. Yeah, 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 definitely. And yeah. 
you know also my I, my counter to, to someone maybe because i've heard that before as well that that response in sales organizations being worried about about oh well if they hit the target they'll just take the rest of the month off my mm. counter to that would be twofold it'd be first of all well how often does that happen that your sales team hit your target mm, yeah right which is like probably not very often so if you have that problem that's a good problem to have yeah right? bloody right. <laughs> and, 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 and if your sales team and if your sales team are consistently hitting targets because of the tool well then we've done our job by giving you that tool and second of all if they do decide to take the rest of the month off good on them they've hit their sales target like what you know that's your fault that's what your target like you set that target so like yeah you know, absolutely increase the target if it's, if it's a problem you know but, but also, also sales people deserve to, to just as well right exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a team effort, so it's a weird it's a weird um, uh, weird objection, but like and it's a really easy one to dismantle, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely. And you know, I mean, yeah, there, there are there are going to be people who are going to be like, it's money, so it's and, and people think it's oh, money is always a touchy subject, um, but it, you know, and I've done I've done research and I've been into dealerships and I've spoken to people, um, you know, salespeople about their experiences mm. and. 95% of the time a salesperson thinks that they're getting conned out of money yeah yeah, yeah. how sad is that you know and this mm. is you know this is genuine this is genuinely speaking to the people on the floor mm. that are being trusted to sell you know sometimes Porsches you know 120 130 140,000 pounds worth of car you're trusting them to sell 140,000 pound car you know but they think the company that they're working for is conning them out of money because they yeah. haven't got that clarity they haven't got that it's all smoke and mirrors they haven't got yeah, that there's too much ambiguity behind it yeah they have to just take people's words for things and like you said usually right at the 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 sort of the the, the last minute and it's just like well that sounds convenient yeah 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 it's, just, it's the same in 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 other you know um sales uh led organizations too I, you know i think that's common throughout sales as a whole not just in yeah. the automotive uh, thing uh, yeah and that's something that we've kind of we have realized um you know there, so there is um you know there is scope potentially for the business you know many years down the line to look at other industries you know you know we've already um done a little bit of research and you know things like estate agents and stuff you know again mm. you know those people are in exactly the same position aren't really motivated and or, or aren't motivated as well as they possibly could be because again they're everything's held off till the last minute whereas um you know just giving just giving just giving people information that's all it is you know it's not mm. there's nothing dangerous about it money isn't a dirty thing ultimately you know i know there were lots of things about you know kind of the work-life benefits and and um you know and what people actually come to work for ultimately people go to work to earn money to be able to live yeah yeah 100%. if you can make that the nicest possible way for them to do it as easy as it possibly can be and give them as much support you're going to get everything mm -hmm. out of that person it's you yeah. know maslow's hierarchy of needs kind of you know dictates that that's what that's what that's what happens you know that's what it is mm -hmm. um and as soon as as soon as you've got disillusioned staff unfortunately it is then like a virus Mm. Um, and again, I've I've spoken, you know, I've done my research kind of outside of the sales team, and I've spoken to receptionists, and I've spoken to HR, um, and it is like a virus when you've got a sales guy who's go who then comes out of that sales meeting and goes straight to the receptionist and goes, oh god, they've taken three hundred cut off me again this month, and da, yeah. da, 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 then da. then you're you're creating a toxic um, culture. Exactly. Another sales executive walks over and goes, "What's that?" Mm. Boom. You know, and 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 instantly, then you've then got a demoralised team, 
Yeah, it might be that the rest of the guys didn't actually get their penalties or they knew the penalties were potentially coming or whatever, you know. So, but they're demoralized for him because yeah. that person suffered, you know, and they're part of the team. And oh, yeah, it just, it's yeah, just on we're trying to change the culture that little bit by going actually just open the open the doors move, remove mm. remove the shutters open up the blinds you know let that transparency flow through and just show your sales staff show your staff in general you know what how well they are doing give them that information and watch them fly because i can mm. guarantee you now they will mm. yeah absolutely and and so you know back to this idea that, that i'm just i'm just shocked that these sort of things don't already exist presumably that they're, they're they, they must in most dealerships use um, crms of some kind right Yep. to be tracking to be tracking deal so wouldn't wouldn't they have these sort of tools already built in them in terms of reporting and being able to see where they are and all that there is of? yeah i mean there you know the the, the the tracking the reporting um you know that's available again um a lot of time it's downloadable reports um mm. you know so you download a report in the morning by the afternoon it's it's very par because right so this isn't not often very not, very much not live. necessarily live data um okay. and even then um so again the majority of dealerships will have a CRM which handles the customer and the customer's journey and the you know the, the, the kind of the sales process and then they'll have a completely different solution to do their accounting so right. the two then don't marry up and if you've mm -hmm. got a, you know, if you've got a, a team of people that are um, paid on the profit of the business well that isn't realized because it's not shown over here it's over in mm -hmm. this thing here but a lot of time they don't have access to that so mm -hmm. It's that whole having kind of three tools that could potentially you only need one for. Yeah, yeah. Um, but because so, so this does one does this tool... better and this one does this better. Yeah. So so does so does dealer doc um, integrate with different types of tools to be able to pull information, like whether it's accounting or finance companies and things like that, to be able to pull it together, or or is it sort of more manual? Like how how does that sort of work? So um, there are three almost answers to that one because um so the original iteration was a was a manual input mm. um because this is actually to replace a system that already exists so dealerships have what's known as a doc right. every dealership you walk into will have a doc and the majority of the time it is a spreadsheet that someone's compiled you know probably the general manager says you're now using this this is your doc instead of manager will put the detail in and actually not do a lot of, do a lot with it because it's just a spreadsheet, it's just somewhere to hold information. The dealer, the dealer principal, the general manager would probably get a lot more out of it, you know, because they're kind of reading a bit more into it to kind of KPIs and stuff. But again, the sales manager mm -hmm. hasn't necessarily got the time to kind of really dig into it to find out, you know, what information that could valuable information that is in there to hold. Um, mm -hmm. So rather than so, you know, so basically the, the dealerships are already kind of double handling the information. So this is just changing and removing where they put it to put it into something else to make it more apparent. Right. So that's the first iteration. Our intention is to um, integrate with um, the dealership tools that are available to try and, and come in. Obviously, that takes a lot of work in terms of APIs and stuff. And mm. um, you know, we are very much in a kind of a, um, our early stages. So that's our that's one of our things. Our roadmap is to start that integration process to get the information drawn in to remove that double keying factor. Mm. Um, but actually, then the, to the third kind of answer to that question is actually we've been working so this um the dealer group that we're working with um we've got a meeting on 31st of november to, uh, 31st of october to kind of find, try and finalize everything um but their tool that they were interested in was actually an offer sheet which doesn't sound kind of too fancy um but again up until now motor dealers when you're selling a car will give you an offer sheet for a 
finance, you know, so, so all the products, the car, finance, everything, da, da, da. Mm. but they'll give you it for one finance house because it's generally led by the manuf manufacturer. Mm. That dealership probably has access to three or four strings of finance. Mm. That might actually work out cheaper for the customer. That might actually work out, um, you know, a better deal overall in terms of residual values and things on a PCP deal and stuff. Um, so what we've actually created and, and you know, the kind of our addition or our, or our the next stage down the roadmap that we've kind of pulled in a bit quicker is actually is this offer sheet that will actually give you quotes from different finance houses side mm. by side for that car, including the products and. Blah, 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 blah. Um, so the idea then is that um, we are looking to try and integrate with um, an open APR API for a and the sort of finance body. So, uh, for an example, ITC are a company that. Um, will go through the demands and needs and everything so for the SEA compliance for customers. So to make mm. sure the sales guy's not going to be misselling, kind of answering some questions to make sure the finance is relevant to them and the product's relevant to them. So the idea is that we then kind of glean down the customer information from that. We then in, in then building a deal for the sale for the um uh, for the for the customer um and calling down the information from each of the finance houses to give their separate quote side by side. When that then comes to a deal, a button is clicked and that information goes straight into our portal. So right. then it removes the need for that um, for that double keying altogether because it's just driven by customer details over here, finance information, which they're doing as part of their office sheet anyway, which then pulls the information across. Mm. Um, we can already pull stock lists. We can already pull information on new car information um so that means again any kind of thing to do about the profitability of the car and stuff will be dragged down through the through the stock list um to then populate our our main portal um so that's quite that's quite an exciting thing actually because um you know for us that was uh that was further on down our roadmap mm. um you know we were looking uh, we were looking at an, an offer sheet as a as a tool rather than because again a lot of the time offer sheets are either driven by a crm which doesn't really understand the motor industry or um kind of glosses over and doesn't give you the full functionality that you'd want or it's mm. a spreadsheet that somebody built you know i know that there is so there's a there's a dealer group in the country right now that uses a spreadsheet that i originally built um yeah. as their offer sheet for their customers Mm. so the idea is that this then replaces that again gives more functionality because it gives you the ability to um send a quote to a customer live they can access then a portal to actually then view communicate back and forward you know put it apart in their own time look and select the deal that they want or if they're not happy with the deal they can kind of go back and say actually we're interested but we don't want this to help mm -hmm. it make make it easier for the sales process um which again will um give us uh things to kind of work on later on down the line in terms of if that customer portal exists you can then kind of create a path for the customer from point of sale to point of collection you know mm. that will then use ai to try and help sell products that customer hasn't yet bought and um so that, that will kind of work quite nicely um but yeah just um you know it, it, for us we were looking at a roadmap of you know probably six months to 12 months down the line um, right. But we listened to our customer, you know, our, our potential customer, and they were just like, "We really need this." Mm. And we're like, "Right, okay, can we do it?" Yeah, we can, and it integrates well with what we've already got. It's now an extension to the platform. You know, it could mm. be a standalone product that bought on its own. It could be integrated with the main platform, or if they don't want it at all and they just want the main platform, they can have that. You know, so it just mm. opens up the um, uh, opens up our um, functionality a little bit. 
Um, and, it, and it also means that actually our business has evolved a little bit more into um, less of a SaaS provider of stuff that you buy off the shelf, mm. a little bit more of a, what is it that you need? You know, mm. what is that in the business? You know, if you could kind of put together those pain points, open up your Z drive to us. What spreadsheets have you got currently? Right, let's mm. look at those and can we make those work together and, and make it a cloud-based thing, you know, rather than having to deal with spreadsheets and, and kind of you know, manual information that sits there doing nothing. You know, let's try and make mm. this information work for you. Well, that's um, a really good a good way to be, be approaching everything, especially right now, because of you know, it's it's a lot of unknowns. You know, you've got like I always refer to the, the process of, of of launching a SaaS product as you know a scientific one in that you've got a thesis, right? Your thesis could be based on your own experience or the experience you've been speaking to some people in your industry, but you need to go out and prove that thesis, right? Um, yeah. Or disprove it, depending, you know, ideally both. Um, and in doing that and speaking to people who want to, to you know, are interested in your thing, you, you should always ask, well, what else could we be doing? What else could we add? And that's a really good way to do it because obviously, like you just said, you know, as well, that means that you're you're adding to your tool set that, that other people are going to be potentially going for. Whether that's you know you're white labeling it now and then bringing it into the product fully later, it's a testing ground and it's a, it's the the best way to be able to continue build a an, a, an enterprise piece of software. You know, mm. building it as you go. What do people need? What does this customer need? Is is this applicable for other other people? Is there an appetite for it? This other customers or is it just for them? You know, and taking that approach is a good way to do it, and it's a, it's a, you know, and it's an affordable way of doing it, right? Because of, usually they're willing to pay for the development of that, as opposed to you having to fork out with an assumption that people will want it, and then delivering it, and then finding out no one fucking wants it. No, right? it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you are enjoying this episode and want to support the show, please like and subscribe with notifications turned on. Yeah, worst position to be in. Yeah, and that's you know a lot of, a lot of the time um, that's where. Unfortunately, the SaaS stuff that is currently available to the motor trade, that's where that's born from. And that's somebody's kind of design. So we go, that looks fancy. Yeah, that looks good. And then right. you try There's and loads of assumptions go, being made. Yeah. Rather than yeah. actually tried and tested, what is it that, you know, what is it that hurts you right now? Um, mm. you know, it's really, you know, it's really um, you know, nice to think that, you know, the people that we're speaking to currently, um, uh, you know, they've got other things in their minds that they were looking to try and buy off the shelf, you know, and they've actually mm. gone, well, actually, we'll just hold off a minute because if we can deliver on the tool that we've got now and there's these two tools that we've kind of going to be working with them on, uh, you know, come, come the end of the month, then there's a possibility we can look at those other pain points with them now rather than just mm. buying something off the shelf that is, you know, overinflated price because they've got to buy, they, they buy part of it, not all of it, was actually yeah. we could potentially build for them something that goes and fills that need. You know mm. directly and then um you know so we're, you know and I, i'm you know, not ashamed to um, to say that our product is actually uh, no code um mm. you know, it's not you know it's um it's not built on a um on a hard-coded platform or anything which makes it means that it means for us that it's really flexible really easy to manipulate um but also then um for us it's really cost effective um but it also means that when we've now cut we can build this to a point where it goes right now we've got the product that you want we can now hard code this mm. you know, we can now deliver this into a platform that's you know that's much more uh you know much, much easier much more secure much more um you know everything that you possibly want and much more familiar mm. um but ultimately you know the, the, the no code thing for us is just you know i can go to my web developers and say i mean i, I went to my web developers the other day and said um, can we just change our um, platform to do this mm. within 24 hours it was done you know, yeah. it wasn't the case that they didn't, have, they didn't have to rewrite code. They didn't have to go back in and find and, and kind of work out what it was. Mm. They literally just kind of put the information in and go, we want it to do that now. And it goes, boop, done. Mm. You know, yeah. they just a, change the whole thing. 
there's a lot to be said for no code and, and and the rise of that in recent years for sure i'm, I'm a huge um, advocate of it but but how do you let me ask you this how how do you because this is an interesting dilemma that comes up with this approach like we just talked about obviously getting you know getting the you know the the the, the ideas or feature requests from users and then and then sort of integrating that in part of your roadmap or moving things up and things like that but there is a bit of a double-edged sword there isn't it where you can't be all things to all people you do have to stick to your own vision of what you want your product to be um and you know you don't want to be tailor made for a specific customer or a specific group and you probably don't want to get into the position where you're making bespoke versions of the platform for everyone that that you encounter so how do you find a balance between that and also communicating that with with potential users to like curb their expectations expectations somehow? yeah yeah so um so for us our core product is our core product now um mm. the way that is displayed would pretty much be the only thing that could really change because it served the purpose. It's you know it's got that thing in mind. Excuse mm. me, we could white label it. Um, and if they want to show it in a certain different way, we can do that. Um, and with the creation of these other products, um, we ultimately myself and and um, you know my colleagues are in the trade or they've been in the trade for the past you know 10, 15 years. So if someone says to me, we want X, Y to do Z, I would use the power of why. Why yeah. you need that. Well, because it would save me 10 minutes out of my day right so that isn't a huge thing you know so okay so it saves you 10 minutes out of your day but mm. how does that benefit anything else within the business you know whereas yeah. if that person comes to me i you know i really think that we should build something like this because it's going to you know increase my profitability by 10 grand blah, blah, blah. well if it's going to do it for their business the like it is it will do it for somebody else's business as well so mm. we will then run that test almost you know it'll be a case of you know great idea and we've actually got it built into our main platform that we've asked for. We've got an idea section you know, so someone can come on and go, it'd be really good if you could do this. Mm. We'll take that with a pinch of salt. Right, let's have a look at this. Let's analyze this. Is this something that is possible? Is this something that would work elsewhere? Is this something that would be profitable for us as a business to be able to kind of achieve? Um, and um, is there anything out there that already does it that would probably do it better that we could actually go, you know what? Just go and buy that. Because mm. it's going, it's going, it's not, it's not feasible for us to, to kind of do that. But we know something that that will do that for you, kind of thing. Yeah. Um. You know, in in the in the building of um what we've done so far and the business itself, we've got the Moscow rule. What's the must have? What's the should have? What's the could have? And what will it never have? Mm. You know, and we and we put into those categories. So if we're looking at a new tool, is it a must have? Is it something that is imperative to the running of the business, and mm. then and will aid them massively? Yes, right. Okay, let's 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 go at that with some vigor. Mm. If it's a should have, you know, that's a well, it would be a nice to have to help. And you know, if there's nothing else going on, actually, it's something that we could then look at. Then fine, it goes into the S. Yeah, could have. It's a bit of a well, it could do this. Okay, we'll we'll look at that with a little bit of more of a. If we have really got nothing else to do <laughs> and there's nothing else that we can see that would kind of add any benefit that would come in and then our mm. w's you know and it's a and it's a won't house um one of the i mean it, it, it and those can change i mean i will say that those can change because as it stands right now my belief within the business and this is something where again we'll be led by our customers but my mm. belief in the business is that as soon as you start using um league tables and as soon, as soon as you start using those things to measure people against each other, mm. you then build again that um, poisonous, that toxic culture. Um, and the person at the bottom of the table is never going to feel like they're on cloud nine and, and like, uh, you know, they're probably achieving really well. 
Mm. But when but when you're pitting them against other people who you know it might have been in the trade longer, you know, it might have been to you know sales school, whatever, you know, mm. it just it just it just kind of be a big demotivator. So one of the yeah. W's that we currently have is that we won't um, put league tables on our sites. But what we will do is again try and harness the use of AI to encourage that salesperson by going six months ago you only did 10 cars and now you're doing 12. Woohoo. Right. Yeah. You know, and try and try and make it so that their own their only competition is against themselves and their only kind of and, and the mm -hmm. only thing that they're actually searching for or seeking for is actually that better pay packet than they had six months ago or mm -hmm. that better packet a better pay packet than they had last month. You know, that's the that's the goal. Yeah, um, that's interesting that's because, of, you know, I know a lot of people in, in sales and, and, you know, there's generally a, a philosophy in sales that competition is healthy, right? That, that it's good to get people to be somewhat in a healthy way competitive against each other with things like leaderboard. Because let's face it, I mean, in, in the offices of a lot of these dealerships, they're probably going to have a whiteboard with everyone's names on it anyway, right? So they're probably doing that to a degree. Um, like, what are you, where do you so, so it sounds to me like you don't really, I don't know, you don't don't necessarily agree with that or... You, or is it more just is it more that you you understand the value in that but just don't want to be a you know the platform to be potentially responsible for when it goes wrong right? yeah and that's and that's way. and that's the you know i think that's probably the key is that is, is the right. going wrong yeah. bit because um you know yes i i do believe in healthy competition because it is actually really yeah. nice to see sales guys bouncing off with each other again i've done two today how many have you done really come right. on you can do better than that that's great and for the top half of a table mm. that can work yeah, and, that, yeah. And, it, and, it, and it does work but i and you know i mean i and i was extremely lucky in that i was never in the lower half i was always in the top and i was always in the top three whenever i was mm. in selling anywhere i was always in the top three um but i had friends who would look at that board and you could see the color just drain out of their face when they were just going oh i'm down the bottom again yeah. But it wasn't just that. It was also the fact that they were then looking at that board and going, oh, for God's sake, he's number one again. Right. He's a knob because he's doing really well. And it just kind of broke that bit of contempt within the business. And I, and mm -hmm. when I witnessed that in probably three, two, three different businesses. Um, mm -hmm. And it was always celebrated because it was always a thing that was done within the motor trade. You know, we used to kind of fighting against you know, and then the top two, top three, top four people were always, yeah, 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 yeah. Meanwhile, mm -hmm. the rest of the guys were just like, oh, Let's take it again. Oh, they're you know they're going off to go and do that amazing, yeah, you know tour, or they're going off to do that amazing thing that they've done because they've so many cars, right? But, right. But that person, unfortunately, because of their skill set, they're never going to be able to get up there whilst that person's still in the business. So they're never going to be able to get to the top of the table. So actually, what is it better to get him to challenge the person at the top, or just challenge himself to do better than he did last month? Mm -hmm. And that's where my mental guess, is that. Yeah, and I agree with you. And I guess it's almost indicative of the problem with sales as a whole regardless of industry which is the focus seems to always be on top performers um as opposed to the rest of the team which mm -hmm. is a massively missed opportunity right you know like the, the, the top performers get the most attention the most motivation the most you know at the end of the day they're doing well like yes you want to keep your top motivators mo uh, top performers motivated to keep performing but then you know there's a lot of the work that i've done with with sales teams has always been well why aren't the top performers helping the others why yeah. why why isn't there a clear bit like uh framework for what the top formers are doing that we can then give to everyone else why isn't everyone a top performer like you know wh where's the energy and the the effort and the attention um for for everyone else apart from the top three or top four like that's the and that is a a, a proper like epidemic level situation in most sales organizations everyone is constantly focusing on the wrong thing in my opinion yeah um, it's just like 
you know, these people, or, or they, the worst thing that happens is they promote them to be managers. It's like, what's like yeah. what, what are you doing? <laughs> like, good, good, a really good salesperson doesn't necessarily equal a really good manager. I mean, if Ooh. anything, it's usually the opposite. Like, you know, they're people who have probably got the worst traits, uh, you know, uh, to, to, to be good at the job. It's actually the people who are somewhere in the middle that tend to be actually very, very good at people management. But yeah, so it's kind of, I get your point there. It's, it's kind of indicative of that problem that permeates all sales cultures. Um, and it, yeah, more needs to be done to like, well, what can we do as a, a provide tools or support to actually get the, the bring everybody up to that level? Yeah, yeah. because it's like, yeah, yeah. because and also as a business model, it's a fucking, it's a terrible idea to only be relying on three people for your whole business to work. Because quite often, when you look at the numbers of businesses behind that, they literally only work because of these people hit their targets um, every month. As soon as they're gone, the business is screwed. So it's like. That is not a very solid business yeah. model. Or, the, or that's the general mindset. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the general mindset. But again, it's that kind of, um, that thing of, uh, you know, being able to analyze and study a business in its entirety. Right. You know, because if you, if you look at one, if you look at one part of a story, if you, if you look at one portion of the, of the information, it can only tell you one thing. But when you start looking in other areas, you know, it then can uh, can lead to a whole different story. And I've known and I've known it in businesses where, um, you know, sales managers kind of gone in and he's looked at the top performer and got rid of him. And you're like, well, hang on a minute. He was pulling in 20 units. He was pulling in 20 units, but he was burning off. You know, so he was he was only converting like 13 percent of his customers. So he was burning right. off 86 percent, you know, of his um, of his of his customers, whereas the guy down here who's selling 12 has got like a 40% closing ratio, mm. you know? So actually if you feed more customers to him, you're going to sell more cars because he's closing more of his customer data, his customer base mm. and actually giving the rest of the dealership or the rest of the sales guys, the opportunity on the customers that he was missing or he was burning mm. actually meant the dealerships are, are, are you know, are, are, are creating and, and, um, and selling more cars. Mm. Um, and, 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 and even things like churn rate and customer um, service and all that kind of thing, you know, quite often what you'll see with top performers is they don't score very highly with those sort of things because they might be a little bit too forceful or they might not. They might be lacking attention to detail and things like that. But again, yeah. your, your lower performers, they, they might be closing less because they are very detail oriented. And those are the ones you want because actually they're creating lifelong customers as opposed to just storing those retention. Deals. Yeah, retention, which is yeah, the, yeah. The, 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 the biggest and most important metric that it is, is probably the, in, in business that is probably um, calculated and tracked the, the worst <laughs> um, in, in most cases, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's super interesting. It's, it's definitely an ongoing uh, problem across all sales organizations for sure. Yeah. I mean, I've got a, um, so. Um, and I, I'll name him because he is just, you know, he he just has the right mix. And there's a guy called Daniel Collingwood who sells Porsches in Exeter. Um, mm. Oh, so sorry, he sells Porsche in Exeter. Get it right. Um, okay. And he's been there for 30 years, um, but he is just the right mix. He looks after his customers. He try. I mean, his admin isn't great, but he tries his hardest. You know, and he does really, yeah, he's he does, he does really well. <laughs> he's a salesperson. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> But um, but he you know, he's been there for thirty years and he can sell and he does it in an unassuming way. Customers love him, you know, and he and he is their top performer. He's been there for so long. But and there was always a saying with um, when it came to Dan when I was running the business is that you could put Dan in a black box. You know, you could put him in an office out of the way and he would still hit his target because he'd been there for so long and he has lifelong customers that just come back. 
You know, and I can remember I can remember picking up the phone. Um, you know, in my first kind of week of sales when I was when I joined as a sales executive, um, I can remember picking up the phone and going, "Yeah, it's Dan Collingwood there. I know he's on a day off today. Can I help you?" No, no, I always buy the cars from Dan. I'll phone him tomorrow. Thanks, bye. And he literally kind of they hung up on me. I was like, "Oh, okay." And the next day, I was like, "Oh, Dan, yeah, Mister Something Such and Such kind of rang." He's like, "Oh, yeah, no worries. He must be due his KN. Oh, yeah, it's about three years. Yeah, yeah. I'll go. I'll go and give him a call. Comes back mm-hmm. in order form. Yeah, you know. So, um, you know, so there is a lot to be said for building that. And again, you know, part of the reason for our platform is to get people to stay, hang around for longer, build those relationships, so that that mm-hmm. person can pick up the phone and go, "Can I speak to James, please?" Oh, yeah, no problem, sir. Or rather than say, "Oh, no, James left about twelve months ago because he wasn't happy with the pay." Can yeah. I give you somebody else to deal with? Oh no, where's James gone? Oh, I don't know. Sorry, you know, and that's again those are the conversations that, I, that you hear all the time mm. in, in the trailer. No, no, he's gone now. He left. He left about twelve months ago. Um, is anybody mm. else going to help you? You know, uh, mm. I mean, I've, I said uh, we were in a meeting earlier because um, we were we're dealing with a company called Growth Guides about getting our strategy of our business right and getting the kind of the core element of our business right in terms of a marketing perspective and then um, you know us as us, us, us as people and the message that we put out to our um, to our potential staff and potential customers mm. um and um uh, and we we're saying that, you know we, we were having a chat with them earlier and it's just like um you know re, the the, re, the retention thing is just absolutely massive mm. you know to be able to i i mean i i sold cars uh i fell out of i, ca- I came out of the military um, i was in the military for eight years i left the military and i fell into the military as generally people do Mm. um because it is flashy car i didn't need a huge amount of qualification to do so i had a driving license you know and i could talk to people quite you know quite easily mm. um i did a little, i did a kind of a three-day kind of they you know tested me on different things and, and i passed so i got the job um mm. and uh, i took on a customer um in toyota in high wickham um I, I, we were there for, i was there for seven months and unfortunately the business folded it was part of a bigger group and the, and the group kind of uh, the group collapsed unfortunately um mm. And I then went on to work for a Vauxhall dealership. I then moved from um, in, uh, so I moved from uh, the kind of the southern region down back down to the southwest, um, and came to work for Vauxhall down here. Then moved to Mercedes-Benz and Porsche. Now that customer, um, I remained friends with, if you like, via email, and they bought two more cars from me. Mm. And it wasn't a Vauxhall the second time. They bought a Toyota. Uh, sorry, it wasn't a Toyota the second time. They bought a Vauxhall from me. And then the third time, it wasn't a Vauxhall. They bought me. It was a Mercedes-Benz. Right. You know, because I so I took that customer with me when I moved, just because I had that, you know, had the ability to do so. Location, yeah, yeah. Um, you can't do that, with, and and it was a different part of the world as well. You know, I, I moved down to back down the southwest, and they came down to Exeter to buy the car, right? Because yeah. I built that, because I built that kind of thing with me. But that's yeah. because I had motivated myself enough to be able to understand my and and kind of freed up enough of my own time by understanding my wages to know what effect it had on me mm. <laughs> to then go and go. Well, actually, that customer, if I can get another three cars out of them. That's mm. in a guaranteed X amount in my wage for the next twelve years. Yeah. If I do that, with two, if I do that with two hundred customers, what does that do? Mm. Plus taking on those extras. So yeah, it's um, it's it's yeah. interesting as well because within the sales world, car, car salesmen get a hard time. Um, and you know, I I I'm, I I can give you know some good insight into that. You know, having worked in in SaaS, especially in SaaS sales, especially for as long as I have, that when you get a CV across the desk for a B two B, you know. Uh, account executive position or or SDR position or something like that, and you see car dealership on the CV, there's a bit of a wince, uh, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of I made it what you think is um, not consultative sales, probably a hard seller, 
um probably someone who's got a lot of bad habits that you need to you know to iron out in terms of mm -hmm. you know them them always maybe going for the clothes and, and and all that maybe you know feature preaching as we would call it i guess in SaaS, and just being a bit too focused on that as opposed to the needs of the customer all this kind of stuff as opposed to someone straight out of college that is moldable and you can kind of train them up and that that, that is an honest bias that exists in most other sales like industries um when looking at estate agents and and car salesmen you less so estate agents because they're usually a bit more consultative in their process but like would you would you say that that's a, a fairly like accurate absolutely, <laughs> okay, absolutely. Yeah. and when you, and when you look at this when you look at the cvs and, and and the cvs will be pretty much you know kind of racking up kind of dealerships and stuff and people go right. oh, they've, they've worked at like 12 well, and that's the other thing as well it's like but that's indicative of, and that's that's our mistake that's the trade industry that's the trade but then but from our perspective it's like well what the fuck are they doing and it's like yeah you know, they can't be you know so and then we yeah, just put on the salesperson as being the incorrect right. one well actually if dealer a had spent that much more time cultivating that member of staff and giving the tools and the ability to do so would they have moved on to b and if b yeah. had done the same you know because and again when you see those cvs um you know i don't i've, I've had cvs across my desk um that have been very similar and you mm -hmm. kind of go uh, and the first thing i do is go oh shit, and then i go hang on a minute let's speak to the person behind it and when right. you speak to the person behind it is literally just because uh, you know they they've always been looking and the grass is always greener because they've just been beaten by us with a stick rather than given the carrot every time and every dealership they worked at you know no you're not sold enough cars well you know yeah i was kind of i felt a bit demotivated because i got kicked in the teeth every month yeah you know help you sell was, more cars just don't exactly and, and this is the problem it's just like you're expected to just just do it and it's like well where's the where's the coaching where's the training where's the the mentorship and that's just non-existent it's like either you do it or we just get new people in and it's yeah. almost like it's almost like they see that as a solution to it if well we can just find someone else but it's not a long-term solution the scary thing is this is now become very common in SaaS sales too now where Which we're in a very very yeah, but I mean, it's a very, very similar situation now because there's so many SaaS businesses um, yeah. that are competing with one another. It's maybe less so now, but there was a point where it was pretty much a buyer's market in terms of if you had a good set of sales skills, you could just choose to go wherever. And there's poor management in a lot of sales management in a lot of these organizations. And it's the same problems. They're just going through people and they're not offering the support. They're not offering the training, unrealistic targets and expectations. Um, you can't ever take time off because yeah. you, you've constantly got targets there's nothing in place to, to 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 solve that problem and like you said same sort of culture sitting down at the end of month here's the results this is for SaaS businesses right yeah <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. so we have got a ping pong table and we have got a pool table right. so really... and we've, got, and we've got beer on tap and like yeah. all that but the same problems right. exist the exact same problems exist i think this is a yeah. wider problem within the sales industry as a whole as opposed to just specifically, you know, uh, car dealerships and like that, it is a it, it's a it's a big problem. But I think yeah. people just don't know how to run sales organizations. That that's that's it's as simple as that. People just yeah, don't and, know well, how. And I think a big problem that is they learn from in leadership. This, yeah, they, well, they they learn from what's kind of been before. You know, right. And there is that there is that saying that if you you know you. you, you there was it um you know the, the the meaning of stupidity is doing the same thing over over again, expecting a different right, result. Definition of insanity. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you do the same yeah. thing and I do the same thing that my boss used to do, but he yeah. wants me to do a better result, but he's taught me what I should do. And I'm not, I'm not getting any, I'm not improving the result. And I don't know why well, that's because mm. you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You can't I see think, that because that's how you've been taught to do it. Well, right. How are you going to do different? You know? 
Exactly. And I think I think, to be honest, a huge problem is probably indicative of a problem in every industry in the world, which is that we, we seem to appoint managers with no formal managerial training all the time in every business. And that's a recipe for disaster, because if, like, like I said, like top performance doesn't equal they'd be able to you know, manage people effectively. Managing yeah. people is a really difficult skill. And there are very few people in the world that have that skill. And just being good at the job doesn't mean you should lead a team of people who do that job. Like there's a lot more to it than that. But that's usually how it works in sales, especially. It's like, you know, it's, oh, right. Well, you've been top performer for three months in a row. Your team leader, here's the keys. It's like, yeah. why? Yeah, yeah. Like, first of all, yeah. first of all, I'm now no longer going to be able to hit the numbers I was. So the business is losing money. Um, and second of all, I have been given no guidance or training on how to manage people effectively. Like, what yeah, yeah. But of course, people don't see that. It's an ego thing. And they go, well, do you know what? There's a bit of a bonus in there, more responsibility. Yeah, I'll do it. And it's just like, you know, do what I was doing. No, and I can I can honestly say that, you know, so you know, I, I have been in positions where I've managed people um, and it is the most difficult. And it, I think the biggest thing that I've found is that um, is the ability to manage different people. Right. Because not everybody wants the same thing. I mean, um, you know, the, the, the um, Porsche do seem to have that thing kind of going on at the moment and, and it's bubbling away before before COVID and when I was with them um, in that they were really studying the people that were integral integral to the business so they would go down through the generation x y and z you know baby boomers all the rest of it but not mm. just that it was about the individuals it was down to um race religion sex gender mm. you know what they identify as you know and, it, and it's so much more made up now of, of understanding these people and it, and it is bloody hard for managers to do that mm. yeah. you know and i and i can honestly say that i i struggled um and very nearly failed in my first management role um within the motor industry yeah. just because again it was you know i did well sold loads of cars and it was literally i just got told there you go there's promotion there's, there's, there's your new car there's your yeah. there's your cleaning car and now you're doing this mm. now you know i'm a bit of a perseverer and you know i did have a little bit of training when i was within the military because they do spend a lot of time trying to get their managers right you know they you have to mm. do on cards and courses and all sorts to to try and train you to be able to understand and work with people and get people to work for you mm. um so i did have that bit of um backing but to try and put uh, a military ethos into, into a civilian company isn't easy um, and that's one of the biggest <laughs> things that I found you know I was I was very um, I was very military oriented and I had to kind of pull myself out of that to kind of um, you know, to try and um, I suppose it's about getting the best bits right about the bits that work from that mindset and the bits that don't the bits that create resistance and the bits that people embrace but like you said everyone works differently too within a team so it's like yeah. some people respond really well to that level of structure or to that level of, of, of framework or whatever it might be whereas others don't and you have to find different ways to motivate people um and, and yeah definitely. and find the right people i mean because you know and i would never forget um you know in my first um kind of role within the within the industry when i was working for um the toyota dealership um the sales manager at the time brought in a girl who couldn't drive and we were like oh what are you doing but bloody hell could she sell right okay. she was absolutely amazing salesperson yeah. and you know and she was a delight she was again attentive to her customers she was you know she, she kind of lifted the spirits of the sales team as well right. so then when it came to doing test drives and stuff because she was that nice person she was like oh, can someone do a test drive for you? yeah yeah i've got five minutes well, i'll do a test drive for you no problem mm -hmm. so she and then and she would, she would then sell the car so ultimately the business was then benefiting but you know me myself if i've been that sales manager i probably wouldn't have been prudent Mm. you know regardless of how nice the person she was because i'd be like 
she can't drive so how's she gonna bloody test drive customers <laughs> but yeah but, but he saw the characteristics that worked and i mean you know, good on him because he, he but, that, he, but that's he, a great manager because that's someone that's thinking beyond the what's right in front of them which is which is the, the, like, and the black and white Right, and that's exactly which, which is what we're talking about. Of like this idea, you're only good, as good as your last month. That it's just what's in front of me. It's like, well, wait a minute. If I hire this person, um, they have a benefit of the team and the company in a much more sort of untangible way. I can't put it on paper. I can't, you know, it's not on their CV, but I just know by their personality and about how they 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 hold themselves and carry they themselves. Right, that they're going to have an overall better impact in the same way on the other side of the coin that you can have an extraordinarily you know high performer that does really well every month but has a seriously negative impact on people around the business. Like, yeah, yeah. And and like you said about you know the, the firing of someone like that sometimes it's like yeah like get rid of that person because actually you get rid of that person suddenly everyone else is lifted up and yeah. those are the things that aren't on paper they're very hard to argue with the stakeholders it's like why do you want to get rid of that person just you just need to trust me i know what i'm doing <laughs> yeah yeah it's yeah, hard yeah. to do it's hard it to is. justify that yeah it is yeah but um no it's super interesting because if um yeah there's a lot of problems in the in itself it's funny because i'm actually um uh, I, don't, I don't know i think i mentioned this to you before you might, might have seen online but i'm a co-founder and ceo of a, a platform myself um which is going into open beta soon and actually the, the purpose of the platform is to facilitate managers in being able to give um coaching and feedback on performance and this is mm -hmm. a, a huge thing for me because I've, I've i've always prided, prided myself on mentoring and coaching and training the reps that I work with like very closely and, and in a way that is catered to them, right? Like going back to what we were saying about everyone learns differently and everyone does yeah. things differently. And one of the biggest missing pieces, I think for me, with a lot of the sales managers I've seen over the years is they don't do that. They just, they, they just don't. They, they, and that's really what a, a, a sales manager should be for me is understanding, well, what do my top performers do? Extracting that and saying, right, here it is for everyone else. And sharing best practice and lifting everyone up and you know constantly improving right that's the thing so this I'm, I'm very passionate about this platform um for that reason uh, because i think it's too easy to sort of say like well a uh, piece of ai could listen to a call recording and then say this is what you did and what you didn't but actually someone looking and giving reviewing performance and giving feedback is so so important um yeah. in this trade so is that not really something that is done i assume as as much as it should be in no in not a huge amount again because it's there is that bit of competitive atmosphere so the kind of the top performers are you know off doing what they need to be doing because they're going to do it better than the rest um but again you know my, they don't want to share that secret yeah source. my right. mentality when it's uh, when it comes to kind of working within those businesses is actually um so i, I like the kaizen method i like that kind of everybody's got a say um yeah. and you know and I, and I have seen um you know the person that I mean, I don't like to call them the the, the low performers because actually they're doing really well for what they're doing. Right. I have seen um, somebody who doesn't sell as many cars as somebody else actually give amazing feedback to the guy at the top. Right. Like so, because he's you know he's he's closing forty percent of his customers and he's closing twenty percent. You know, so mm -hmm. this person just simply said, "If you do, I do this, if you do this, maybe it worked for you." Guess mm -hmm. what? He sold more. He sold then more cars. Yeah. Because you know, he gave something back, so you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily. I think it is that cumulative thing. I think actually, if you know that whole, everybody has that say, everybody has the ideas, and everybody has their methods, and actually being able to 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 look at everything, it's it's almost like that. Um, if you were to tell everybody, or get everybody, everybody's best traits on the wall, yeah, and then right, some of the some of the new that comes in goes, well, look, let's have a look at this. Maybe try some of that and that and that and that. And that. Have a go with that. That doesn't that doesn't work. We'll come back. 
well, okay, so that didn't work for you. Try this instead. And having okay, and that kind of open approach. Yeah, and that's the essence of best practice sharing, isn't it? Is it's putting it out there. And like you and you made a really good point there as well about new starters. That's something that's really important with the platform that I'm working on as well. It's like, well, if you've managed to do that with your existing team, well then you don't have to worry about a three-month, four-month, six-month ramp-up time then. Right. It's like it's it's clear because of the biggest issue that I think sales managers have or sales leaders in general have is they don't really know what good looks like. Yeah. You know, you you know you have it, but you don't know what the essence of it is, what the mechanics of it is. It's just like it's like it's some magical thing. It's like, well, it isn't. There's a process that you need to identify and record. And then you, when you apart. bring other people pull it apart. Yeah, exactly. And when you bring other people in, like you just said, they can look at it and they go, okay i've got a framework i've got a starting point i'll put my own little flair on it as and when but this is that this is what is working now so i can take that and go and do it as opposed to just you know throwing them in the deep end and see what happens right yeah it's super important and then you can suddenly like i say close that ramp time you know to, to you know hitting target in a much shorter period of time or getting close to it in a much shorter period of time um and then everyone's a winner right they're motivated they're on the leaderboard or whatever you know and then they can start moving forward it's super important yeah definitely and you know again you know um, when you look at um you know, dealer groups um you know there are groups out there that have their um their way of selling you know so they will do sales things and but this is the way that we sell cars because this is what we do mm. but that might not work for somebody right that might not work for the sales that they've just taken on who can sell cars and we and it's proven and 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 mm. but that might not work with the way but you're now expecting him to fall into that because that's the way you do it right mm really yeah or, or should it be actually you know let's go on a sales course right okay guys let's kind of let's look at what how 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 do we do this how you know almost build it with those people that yeah that cohort of people there and then you know and if you did a training course like that every you know each time you had a new intake of, of, of staff you did it that, that way you would mm -hmm. have lots of different people having lots of different ways of selling but i'll tell you what they'd probably be a lot better than trying to enforce 100 push them uh you know this is how you must do it yeah because you know because again we're all different we all we all sell a different style exactly um, and that's exactly how i used to do it and you're right it works it 100 works and what's important as well is that you know the way people buy changes and what you're selling changes right so the way you sell needs to change and you yeah. constantly need to keep on top of that because you're, the, what worked yesterday isn't going to work today and it would be stupid no. to assume that it would you know people get more buyers get more um uh aware of what it is they're buying they have higher demands for what they expect and the products themselves you know especially with cars constantly changing and so that means that the expectations are changing all the time so just be like oh well, we've done this for 10 years or however long so it's going to work tomorrow it's, it's just a stupid a stupid approach i mean even so evolution like the, it is it's evolution even to the to the extent of like well what tools do you use right i.e you it's like mm -hmm. well like you said if it ain't broke don't fix it well actually <laughs> it will be broke soon so you better start fixing it now you know yeah i mean yeah. that's one of the things that we identified earlier when i was speaking to the growth guides guys is that um you know part of the part of the reason our business has come about is because we have this inherent belief that things can be better right you know yeah. it's it, it, it's the it's the um you know it's not it's, it's the not accepting that this is the best it can possibly be because yeah. that's all being told it's the question well, why is that is there a way of doing things better is there a way that you know is there that little change that we can make um you know it, there is that um uh, wasn't it chris boardman chris boardman's bike and they said right okay we want to make this 20 percent better and they failed and they want to make it 20 percent better and they failed and they went well actually if we look at each of the component parts and make each one of those component parts one percent better 
then it then that would work and they did it and he won you know because yeah. they focused on each of the in and just made it a little bit better each one of those bits rather than trying to take the whole mass and go right we're going to make this 20 percent better right. they went we're just going to make a little each component just that one percent better incremental changes yeah made a massive difference and again Found over time exactly you know yeah. and that's um you know and that's where we, where we kind of that's where we're coming in because um the platform that we've got now is only really focusing on one area really right now the business is multifaceted you know there's lots mm -hmm. more in the business and there is you know on our roadmap we've got a lot more things that we can look at to make things better mm -hmm. and we're not trying to change the wheel we're not trying to you know we're not trying to tell people that this is you know the be all and end all actually this is just going to make that one that, that bit there just that little bit better which would have an overall effect that will amass when you again when we start kind of adding things later on down in our roadmap mm. those incremental changes across will make a massive difference to the business as a whole yeah and but that's the important thing too as well is, is i suppose you know the the, the key messaging and, and sort of part of that that i'm i'm sort of imparting from what you say is that it's not to say what you're doing is bad or what you're doing is wrong right now it's just Definitely. we think it could be a little bit better Mm. And, and, and yeah, I yeah. think that's that's that. I mean, because otherwise, people get their guard up, don't they? That's not a good way to sell anything. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the thing is that I'll never tell you know they they're obviously not doing it wrong. If you've got a dealer group that is making money, you know, mm. and they have got staff and they've got the lights on, the doors are open, and they are doing the business, then definitely they're not doing it. You know, they're not doing it badly. Mm. But just having that little bit of change can mean that they're doing it actually that little bit better than they were the day before. Um, yeah. You know, that's one. You know, that's something that. Um, um you know in terms of learning and things one of the things i i, I picked up on um, i can't remember where it was but it was that um i try and be that little bit better yesterday than i was today better yeah. today than i was yesterday you yeah. know because because ultimately if you keep on doing that thing then you're going to grow and you're going to be you know a better human being well that's the same with the business if you try doing something a little bit better today than you did yesterday you're going to be better at you know eventually that ethos and that over time you're going to be better yeah, that, that, I mean, that is that is literally one of my sort of personal mantras or philosophies, I guess, if you will, to say basically, you know, yeah, I, to, to every day try and be a better person than I was yesterday mm. in some way. And I think that's a good way to do things in general. But I wouldn't mind if you forgive the plan, I wouldn't mind switching gears a little bit um, and um, and ask you about because I think you, it, but it's safe to say that you've gone through some pretty like throughout your career and your life, you've gone through two pretty significant like changes in what you've done from from military to to working as a salesman on, on on a dealership floor and then now from that to and i assume leading teams mm -hmm. to then being a SaaS founder like two yeah. big changes <laughs> like, <laughs> like talk me talk me through that i mean you touched a bit upon like how the transition from serving in the military to that i mean so let's start with that one like what were some of the challenges there i'm assuming there were probably an enormous amount of them but but what were some of the challenges but also what were some of the benefits to, to maybe having that background and going into that career path yeah i mean you know i can i can actually go back a little bit further so um mm. you know when i was I, I was i was a dropout you know for, for in no uncertain terms um you know i went to school um i knew better than teachers by the time i hit year nine or actually i was bullied kind of from from the year seven up to year nine um and then when i kind of fought against my bullies and kind of come out on top i suddenly turned into a bit of a twat <laughs> in no uncertain terms and i threw away my education you know i was mm. kind of an a a to a star grade student all the way through up until boom um, and then I ended up with, I mean, I got one, a three B's, two C's, a D and an E, you know, and it was literally, duh, 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 duh. Yeah. um, and by the skin of my teeth, I managed to get into college. Um, and then when it came to college, um, I just didn't turn up, you know, mm -hmm. and it was that whole kind of, uh, 
in there, the naivety of youth, I suppose, um, you know, and, you know, I stupidly got involved with drugs and alcohol. Mm. Um, and it got to a point where I was very close to going, you know, off the deep end when it comes to the drugs. And I went, shit, I can't do this. I need, I need, I need, I need to, need to kind of change something. So, um, and what sort of age were you at that point? Um, so I was 16, 17. Yeah. So right. I was kind of just, just going into my, into my, into my 17 year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just, um, I had no real direction, unfortunately, cause I'd not done the thing that I wanted to do with my education. I didn't really have many options. And my options were to go and work for my dad. Um, who you know? I mean, he had a great business. It was uh, putting up farm buildings and 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 um, um, building stuff for a living. Um, and my dad, you know, God rest his soul, I love him, um, miss him a lot. But he, um, I was just so much like him. We just butted heads all the time. You know, and, and as mm-hmm. much as I loved him, I couldn't work with him. So the other option was to join the military. So I kind of cleaned up my act and I went right. I'm going to go do this and uh, check myself full into it six months of kind of making sure that I was clean um, of, you know, and I stayed away from anything that was kind of, you know, contraband, um, passed all my testing to get into the military. And then I was in, and then um, when I was in my, so my granddad was ex-military and he said to me, Rich, he said, um, the army is probably the, one of the best experiences you better, you, you will ever have never turn anything down. Um, he said, if you've got an option and a, or, or, or an opportunity, within the military, take it, just do it because you just never know where it will lead. You know, mm-hmm. and I had eight years in the military. So I did four years, uh, in Knightsbridge, um, in the household cavalry, riding horses, you know, and the pomp and ceremony sword helmet, all that kind of good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and within my time in that four years, I suffered some back issues because of being thrown from horses and stuff. Uh, but I also was able to, um, work closely with royalty um i was able to close with work with the baby horses and kind of actually see the kind of progress of a horse from being you know a a new recruit if you like all the way through to being a kind of full ceremonial horse mm. um i went um and people you know may 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 kind of look at me now and go you're an idiot because we did hunting but it was kind of drag hunting um mm. for me it was just a case because it was just time with the horse um eventing jumping that kind of stuff and then i did four years on the armored side um so this was um gunning driving commanding um small tanks for what about where the cvrts but yeah and the small vehicles um light armored vehicles and um you know i served in afghanistan um did a did a seven month tour in afghanistan um and it was kind of the hairiest time so we were one of the first ones into helmand province so um yeah saw wow. some pretty hair raising stuff mm. um you know fought for my life pretty much every day um and lost some friends along the way so you know that was, that was pretty horrendous mm. um i kind of got to that end of that eight year stint and um again i kind of looked at my life and i went well you know what do i really want now what do i want to do do i want to do i want to carry on with this you know and i could have carried on i could have been a career soldier um you know that the army my my seniors in the army were trying everything they could to kind of make me stay or to get me to stay in offering me all sorts of um crazy things to make me stay and i was just like you know what actually yes I've, I've done what i wanted to do um you know i wanted to do an operational tour you know i wanted to do the ceremonial thing i wanted to kind of make myself better than i was and ultimately you know to see myself eight years previously, you would have, it was a completely different bloke that walked out that gate, mm-hmm. you know, from, from what I was when I first stepped in. So I just thought time to move on, you know. Was um, there a catalyst to that? Was it, was it as a result of, of, of serving, a, a, you know, going on tour in Afghanistan or was it just like a, something that had been sort of accumulating over time? Yeah, there's a bit of accumulation of time. It is, um, my other half at the time, um, 
So I've been here with, with her. For, so when I went to Afghanistan, so I went to Afghanistan in 2006. Mm. And my other half at the time was just starting her university degree. Um, mm. By the time I kind of came to, I, I was due to go back out to Afghanistan again in, in the 2008 with my squadron. But that was also the same time that she was going to be doing her final dissertation, her exams and the rest of it. And it was just another one of those things that kind of went, you know what, she was there for me for that bit there. You know, is her mind going to be completely on what she needs to do now for her progress and her progression in life? If I'm going to be, you know, 7,000 miles away getting shot at, mm. probably not. So the only way that I could not go on the tour was to leave. And, and because of the training that I had and because of some of the stuff I'd done with the communications and stuff, um, there was no way that I would have been able to stay in and go back to the mounted side. They needed me on that tour. And I kind of went, actually, sorry, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not you know, there's no way I can physically go on that, on that tour. Um, so it kind of went time to, time to move on. Um, and, you know, one of the things that my dad, and what one of my dad said to me was, um, you know, he said, he said, you should never have, you should never regret having done something. You should always regret having not done it. Mm. Because if you haven't done it, you've not experienced it, you've not fulfilled that part of your life. So, you know, you'd, it's better to kind of have a go at something and go, ah, oh, shit, wish I hadn't done that. And at least having a go at it rather than going, oh, being scared of it. So, mm. um, you know, it's one of the things that I kind of carry through with me in my career, but then kind of moving on from there as well. So I was like, you know what, actually, it's time to move on. It's time to do something new. Mm. I had no idea what I was going to do. You know, I had 12 months to kind of try and figure that out because um, you give 12 months notice when you when you leave the military. And yeah. um, and I <laughs> I was <laughs> pretty much looking through, and, you know, it might sound odd now, but I looked through the paper <laughs> and looking at kind of roles. And there was a, literally a, an advert for a salesperson working at the local toilet dealership. Mm. Um, and, you know, the requirements were you had a driving license. Well, I have a HCB license because I've been in the military and drove tanks and all sorts. Mm. Um, uh, with no, no so a clean driving license, um, your basic level for your GCSEs, which I just about scraped through with, um, and the ability to kind of be a human being almost. Right. So I applied, you know, and, and kind of, like I said, I fell into the role. And I think, if I had been that person before the military, I'd never, I would never have got the job working in the military mm. because I wouldn't have been that well-rounded human being that's experienced life, that has done that bit of stuff, that was able to kind of then come out and 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 be that communicable human being. I think yeah. to, if I hadn't joined the military, I would have probably been six foot under about twelve months later. And that's you know, you know, it, it's 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 a tough thing to kind of say, but that's that's ultimately where I think I probably would have been. You know, because mm. I just would have had no i had no clear direction i have no clear anything in my life as, as, as a path to follow um and then i mean kind of going into the into the motor trade the military kind of backing behind me has always been the driving factor you know so i've always wanted to try and progress i've always wanted to try and do better i've always wanted to try and do more um um there was a brief stint i had, a, I had there was a small kind of period of my time when the Toyota dealership went under, I actually went to work for Carillion um, and worked as a worked on the M40 motorway um, as a kind of incident response. And I joined them, um, and you know I did my day's work. But I obviously went that did did that a little bit more. You know, to the point where at the end of the day we'd had one of the vehicles and there was like loads of crap on the back of the vehicle. And I just naturally, because this is what I'd always been taught to do, was to jump up on the back of the vehicle with a brush, sweep it off, clean it, so it's ready for the next day. And it was picked up on by the seniors, and they were like, "Hang on a minute, this guy's giving that little bit of extra." Mm. And within three months of working with the, with uh, as an incident support guy, um, I'd been promoted to the depot foreman. So I was running the motorway. I was running, you know, and, and when I was on shift, 
I was in charge of the motorway from you know the M25 all the way up through to Path Oxford, um, right. and I was dealing with um, planned works. So I was dealing with incidents. So you know, if there was an accident, if my guys went out and put the cones out and kind of cordoned off the area, not the Hato's, not the, um, the the traffic officers or the Wombles as they're called, but we're the guys that kind of then had to deal with uh, right, get that vehicle off, repair any damage, kind of make sure that road was, was roadworthy again. Um, so I did that for, for you know for, for nine months and again it was all kind of driven by my time in the military to kind of do that much better to try and push myself and try and find a way um, and it was actually there that I kind of created my first tool if you like for, for making things easier um, mm. because I was working for them again that so they had three spreadsheets or three or four spreadsheets that did serve different functions but they were always getting fined for missing work that was planned because they weren't really using the information that was that they had mm. so um i created a a spreadsheet that kind of read the information from those four um tools which was the training log as to what the guys have actually can do the rotor as to who was on shift at the time um the holiday sheet as to see who was on holiday at the time and also then the works that were required by the uh by the government by VOSA. um and so what so then rather than kind of missing targets the system would go right you're on shift then you need to be doing that work now mm. and the guys then because and again the guys would literally come in on a day and they'd kind of get their worksheets and that was them for the day whereas with this they were able to plan that much further ahead because the system was saying in two weeks time you're going to need to put a road closure out and you're going to need to do this 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 this, this. and mm. really actually brought that from me um and then rolled that out from the one um the one site into into others across the across the network so mm. um and it was that it was that inherent kind of things can be better this can be easier this can there's there is some there's there's something that can be done to make this a much easier a much better place to um, to work so that's what mm. um that's where i got that kind of come from um and then again driven by same lady um at the time but uh, my other half at the time she said uh, she completed her um, university degree um had gone into a management role within uh primark and said and she said to me we can move to back down to the southwest there's an opening down in the primark and exeter shall we go and i was like yeah why not mm. so handed him a notice in at the um uh, with carillion uh jumped down here walked onto marsh barton which is one of the biggest right there are more car dealerships per square foot on marsh barton than anywhere else in europe um because yeah. you have literally every brand on marsh barton and exeter so i walked onto marsh barton with my cv in my suit and literally went i can sell cars mm. um, and had three job offers within two days mm. again one of those things that the military it's that kind of that military thing where i needed a job i went and did it i had that focus mm. i had that plan so yeah. that's what i did i went and got that job i went and you know how, and how do i go about doing that i put some nice shiny shoes on i put my suit on and i put my and i got my seat in my hand mm. and i go and physically go and stick this in front of the salesman's face mm. um, and then uh you know kind of so from there my, my career kind of then kind of grew from there and i joined box i was with them for three months got promoted to used car sales manager uh, ran the used car side of that for four years um you know kind of changes within, within the business and i kind of thought you know time to have a look at something else a role had come up as a sales executive at mercedes-benz so i thought to myself well actually it's a you know so in terms of pedigree of the brand it's a slight increase but obviously it's mm. a step down in terms of stature within the business you know what i can deal with that because ultimately i can still sell so uh, mm. i went to work for mercedes-benz and i worked for them for four years um and again the kind of that driving thing behind me was to go i want to do everything i can so i was the amg specialist i was their electric car specialist i was their hybrid car specialist i was their um, motability specialist i was their retention executive um you know so i kind of kind of 
pulled in all these things and and it came to a point where they had a shuffle within the business and there was potential room for management you know and i was i thought i felt i was ready to do that um and you know kind of went for the role and they literally said to me sorry rich if we take you off the floor we lose our one of the biggest tools and one of the biggest assets that we've kind of created in the business on the sales floor so we can't promote you you know that was literally yeah. the, the, you know the, there's, we're not going to promote you mate because you know you're going to make us more money doing that than you're you are needed that. where you are yeah so you know so whilst i understood that i thought to myself no because I, I, I want my career to progress um so again i stuck my head above the parapet course center x still looking for a sales executive in my head again it's that one level up one level down because obviously mm. I've, um, I've done so much with the um with the specialisms in the in those in that brand uh, went to work for porsche exeter um and again so i worked for them for six months they promoted me to business manager i brought the tool in because i've been working on the tool in my kind of in my tenure in the in the, in the time of these different um, dealerships i brought that tool in um and in one month we sold more finance than they had done the whole of the previous year wow um so a lot of that yeah so, so i'm not going to put it all down to the tool that i used or that i played a big contributing factor um, you know, but it was also the fact because I had the time because I had this tool working for me, mm. I could then jump in and, and start speaking to those customers with my sales executives, you know, to try and really boost them and push them and to try and sell more finance and help them and, and really kind of. A friendly reminder to share this episode with your network, like, comment and subscribe. It really helps the show and only takes a couple of minutes. Um, um support them in their sales so uh, the dealership kind of absolutely flew that month we sold you know more more finance we sold like 20 percent more cars than they had the previous year in that same month and you know it's all a massive flyer um so yeah again again after six months of doing that they promoted me again so i was then the general sales manager um and i did that for three years and then you know the unfortunate covid kind of hit um and hosted garages at the time their ethos was almost a case of when it's tight we kind of we we, we shed um, to kind of to save costs um, and it's generally the middle management that 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 suffers in that yeah uh, because they've got the productors on the floor and the fact they've got the sales executives you know business managers are kind of deep, deep in on the finance so as long as those can kind of work together quite well and, and carry on working then we can kind of lose that management mm. role for the time being until things are right mm. um so uh, you know i was i was um, i was made redundant from that role and um and on the same day, I received my redundancy notice. I got a job offer working for Marshall Bridgewater. Um, and again, it's because I, that army thing about me, I couldn't, there was no way that I could be without work. That was my, mm. my, my fear was that if I, if, if I, if I am not working, if I'm not earning money, then I'm not supporting my family. I'm not going to do what I really want to uh, want to achieve in, in terms of get, having a good life. Mm. So, um, you know, I just really went out and smashed into right. Okay. On to the next thing. And I worked for Marshall Bridgewater um, for, um, for six months um absolutely love them and i think they again they had kind of slightly bigger plans for me for because i was there as a transaction manager i think they had slightly bigger plans for me um but um i, I had an opportunity to come up through a family friend um, and decided to take that um and i you know i'm quite proud to say that i went to work for this dealership and we took it from being like a mum and pop operation because they were kind of based in a shed they were building a dealership that was going to be ready and they kind of but they had to kind of integrate tools they had no processes they had no policies they had nothing that really a business really needs so mm. spent kind of two years in really kind of installing those and making those work and putting in the tools that those guys needed to be able to perform and, and to you know to kind of carry on with um and you know kind of come to the end of the two years two years and probably shot myself in the foot in the fact that i had done so well in kind of installing those things because they no longer needed me 
Right. Um, you know, the managing director said, well, actually, I'm going to take a bit more of an active role within the business. I'm going to kind of come down and, and start and take over from you, basically. Mm. Um, so, uh, so again, unfortunately, the redundancy kind of bell rang and Rich was on the, on the way out. Um, and that's where, and that's when this kind of thing was, was kind of born. Um, mm. Because we I've been talking with um, the DQ guys for a little while because their, their philosophy is that you don't quit. You know, uh, mm. they like speaking to, to people like myself who are slightly older in years and experience have created a problem to a solution that could be replicated elsewhere, um, but don't necessarily have the funds and don't necessarily have the time necessarily to kind of get that to the point where it can do something. Mm. So um, I was already talking to them about, uh, you know, kind of creating this. And when when I got the redundancy notice, I, you know, I got in touch with them. And I was like, look, you know, unfortunately you know I'm, I'm now redundant so i'm going to, going to try and find another job and keep that going but i put this on hold and they were like well look you know our original plan was to invest in the business anyway so why don't we invest in the business now you can then draw a wage from the business whilst we kind of go through this bit you can then now concentrate solely on getting this up and running mm-hmm. um and create this you know create this beautiful business that we've got that we've got in mind and, and, and that we've got the, um, the ideas for so um that's when this really kicked off um mm-hmm. that's when i kind of create and i and they led me kind of down the right route you know the kid on the three-year-old on the reins they kind of pulled the right one i was going the wrong way over there and they they guided me down the right route to the point where we funded it 314k so yeah um you know and along the way i've kind of made some really you know kind of tight bonds with the likes of my web developers you know toby and the team of blue mongoose they just now get it you know they they understand my head almost and the motor trade mentality when they're kind of building something mm. um, which is which is which is you know very rarely found normally web developer yeah. kind of goes yeah you tell me what you need and i'll make it you know these guys are really kind of thinking about what would help and you know it's nice having sometimes that outside perspective for them mm. to kind of go rich have you thought about this and you're like shit i mean you thought about yeah. that because i'm sorry again because i'm so engrossed in it and uh, you know it's having that extra it's a two-way thing as opposed to a traditional one-way thing with with developers or engineers yeah yeah massively and and you know um you know um i just emma um you know the the, the young lady who is the oh, it sounds really derogatory when, when i say young lady but um you know she's younger than i am and she's you know and she's a lady but she um she just gets the, the business now she just gets the portal mm um you know she comes up with some great ideas and, and you know, i can communicate to her now almost by telepathy because she's almost reading my mind already as to what i want to happen next mm. um you know she's she's doing a, a fantastic job and and um i'm really proud of what we've created what she's created you know for us um you know mm. a tool that is ultra usable ultra smart does exactly what it says in the tin and looks just absolutely amazing um mm. Uh, I mean, that's 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 a testament to good leadership, too. I mean, you know, a a good leader should should inspire and should, um, you know, should motivate people in ways uh, that that seem like almost um, effortless. Do you know what I mean? And and I think that usually comes through being an excellent communicator and from and and more importantly, communicating the passion behind solving the problem and what the problem is and how to, you know, how to solve it and what the vision is, you know, and that's the really big thing about a good leader is, you know, the, 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 the communication of vision. You know that is often missing but i mean like thanks for that 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 explanation of, of things i mean there's, there's there's so much to unpack there like it's yeah. it's, ama- it's an amazing journey but like um yeah and i've got a million questions i would ask you about that but um but like i'm getting the sense that you're someone that is i mean the reason why i think you you, you achieve what you did when it comes to your investment goals is because if i mean like as as an angel investor myself although i'm kind of on hold at the moment focus on other things 
like one of the key attributes that myself and a lot of fellow investors are always looking for in a founder to be an investable founder is resilience, right? And you seem to be a very resilient individual, like not least because of your experience in the army and and, and everything else like that, but but just just in the way your whole attitude towards you know needing to needing to have purpose, you know, very purpose driven very determined and all of that sort of things. I mean, that that clearly makes you a very in, investable person. But I'm curious to know, like, what what things specifically in the military, because you seem to you seem to attribute a lot of that to, to, the, to your experience in the military. What what key um, what key things were being contributed specifically to 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 making you to become that kind of person? Because I find that really interesting. You know, you went in as one person, you come out as another, like you said. Um, and there are a lot of people in the world who are that young 16 year old kid. I was one like as well. And there isn't the it's very difficult to find that purpose, to find that 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 structure. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to know what it was specifically you got in case anyone listening might know someone that that's going through the similar sort of type of thing and, and might be able yeah. to sim- simulate those kinds of situations, perhaps mm-hmm. or something to the army. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, so I think the the biggest thing that I drew and took from the army um, was the the self confidence and the um, you know uh, is actually instilling in, into me self confidence, self discipline, and self belief. Mm, uh, you know, because when I when you go in there, you know, when you when you join, there mm. is no way you believe that you are going to be able to climb that hill with that massive pack on your back. You know, mm. wearing those boots, having had no sleep the night before, you just don't think you're going to be able to do it. Is you and you know you just don't believe you can do it unless you're you know unless you have been bred to join the military in which case then you've kind of done you know you've been running burpees from the age of three um mm. you, know, you, you just don't believe that and it's just that through the use of um uh gains you know little gains each each and every day and each every time shave a bit off that time make yourself that little bit fitter make yourself that little bit stronger make yourself that little bit mindset of that little bit more resilient that's mm-hmm. how the army achieves it you know it is and they you know there is this big thing um and this big belief that the army um breaks you to remake you they don't yes you may feel a bit broken when you are sobbing because you've just had you know three nights you've just been a been, it's been awake for three days and it's been raining and you've been training and yes you may feel absolutely broken but that's not the purpose what they actually mm. do is they find your inner strength and try and build on that and that's why there are so many different um you know kind of characters within the within the military mm. um you know if you were to look at um the regiment even the squadron that i was in every one of those guys was different mm. every one of those guys had a place to play and every one of those guys, they they were played to their strengths to make that a strong squadron, a strong fighting formation. Um, mm. And I think that's what they really do, you know. And you know, I mean, I've I've had people come to me and say, "Oh, you know, my my sixteen year old, you know, I, I I don't think he'd stick it because he can't handle um, he can't handle authority and he can't handle someone shouting at him." Well, they don't just, you know, it's not the case of when you as soon as you turn up, they're kind of shouting in your face. They right. don't do that. You know, but what they do that's is what you see in film and, and TV yeah, and stuff, I mean, isn't it? But it's yeah, not. that's a general perspective. But yeah, you know, it really isn't. You know, yes, you're you're spoken to kind of in a matter of fact way. Yeah, firmly. You know, so, yeah. So yeah, so it's not a case of ah, what it is the case of right. You need to grab that, get on that, and get on that bus. Boom. Yeah, but it, but I suppose it's, it's clear, concise like, instruction. Yeah, but I suppose it's also equally not like, would you mind terribly? Uh, just <laughs> yeah, exactly. please. It's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. you know, yeah. because ultimately you need to be able to take some direction. 
Yeah. You know, and I say to the, you know, someone says to me, oh, he doesn't take, you know, I didn't get shouted at until probably my third week of being there. Mm. You know, and that was because I fucked up. You right. know, that's because and I. And that point, you're expect, expected, expected to, to know, something, expected yeah. to be able to do. You know, so I yeah. missed that drill move, and the drill sergeant came rolling over to me, and he's like, "How far? What are you doing?" You know, yeah. and yeah, and you kind of you are kind of like, "Oh yeah, shit, it's done." But it's, but it's interesting yeah. going back to that thing you were saying about like you know, oh, my six year old or nine year old whatever wouldn't do that because like I'm of the the opinion that um that that we we all cry. I, th I think especially young boys um i couldn't i'm not a young girl or i've never been a young girl so i couldn't comment on that but especially young boys we need a certain amount of author authority in our lives and and that 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 drives us and you, you need direction you need discipline not in like the extreme sense but you need that that structure that's what's missing and so when you see a kid that or, or a parent say that about their kid like oh you know never listens to authority it's like well they probably never experienced true authority that's probably yeah. why like that's yeah. what's missing um a, a, an authoritative figure that they respect and that knows is going to get them somewhere is very different from just you know did you do your homework like that's a very different kind of you know authority isn't it yeah it's definitely and yeah and you know i mean i mentioned my dad earlier so my um you know part of the part of my resilience thing is you know comes from my dad my dad had three heart attacks and right. he was running a business and each time he had a heart attack something kind of came along and the business was the business suffered so um you know he was made bankrupt after his first heart attack um you know so we had to kind of move house and everything like that um and then the kind of the, the second heart attack one of his main workers left so the business kind of suffered so that meant that we again you know we're, we're, we're not in dire straits but it was kind of things were tough for a while um and um you know so my dad each and every time got up brushed himself off and went back to work you know and that's what i kind of really took from that it was that whole you know when things kind of when things really do and yeah exactly no one else exactly no one else is going to do yeah. it for you so just you know just so just go and do it um you know and um that's kind of that's that's where my and that's you know what i do now you know each and every time i kind of come across a hurdle you know if it, if it kind of trips me over right pick myself up where did i go wrong what can i do to change it right let's go again let's have another yeah. game let's try again you know and that's the whole kind of and you know i'm lucky um with the business that i've got now in that um dq ventures are there to help try and steer me away from those pitfalls you know, and they're still there in the background now. You know, they're still working alongside me and kind of and kind of helping to guide me in the right direction um, to try and avoid those pitfalls. Um, but um, but but you know, but, but even then, I'm still kind of I still got things in the back of my mind of going, well, I need to make this work. So how do I do that? You know, what do I need to do? What do I need to kind of change? What do I need to kind of make better to make this kind of physically work? Mm. Um, you know, and it's yeah, it's very easy, I think, in in life in general, to 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 become a victim right and to to when you're when you're pushed down um instead of like adopting the warrior mentality of like i'm going to come back twice as fucking hard like you know if life's going to hit me i'm going to hit it twice as hard back mm -hmm. um to just being like this is unfair and like yeah it is unfair deal with it get on yeah. with it and it's not insensitive like you can still be sensitive to someone's feelings about being down in the dirt and be like yeah i understand it's really shitty and i'm with you man like i yeah. totally get it it sucks but guess you what know it's time to, time to move 
I, I, yeah, I yeah. feel for you. I feel for you and I care about you, but it's time to move because you're not going to achieve anything down there. So let's do it together. Let's go, you know, but like, I, I, yeah. are you um, are familiar with a, a gentleman called Jordan Peterson? No. I feel like you'd get on very well with his stuff. He's a bit of a controversial figure, mostly because of, I mean, he's a, he's a, a world famous psychologist, clinical psychologist, and, and he, he's become uh, quite famous in, in the last few years, particularly because of a, 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 a viral um, news interview he did with Channel 4. He's Canadian, but he did a, an interview that went viral because he just essentially ripped apart this, this interviewer uh, for some of the stuff he was saying. He, um, he got famous for talking about uh, gender identity primarily, about some legislation in Canada that was going to make it unlawful for you to misgender someone, and he was speaking up against the legislation of, of that of type. But essentially, he's more known um, before that and since um, for writing a very famous book called, uh, what was, oh, Jesus, I've got the name of the book now. I think it was called Tidy Your Room or something like that. And it's basically, uh, he works primarily or has worked in his career as a, a psychologist, but mostly with young men um, who are struggle with purpose. And one of the things he talks about in this book is, you know, the, the, this idea of tidying your room in that, you know, that, 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 finding purpose in life and finding meaning in life starts with you it starts with your room and if you can learn to make your bed every morning and if you can yep. learn to, to you know tidy your room every morning and that incremental changes lead to finding grander purpose in life and i feel like that would really resonate with you because of Massive. i mean in the in the military that is very much literally <laughs> what you are what you have to, to do yeah. right so <laughs> okay, keep your boots yeah. in yeah yeah Right. And and so he's a big believer in this. And so am I. Um, although he is controversial for other things that he says like that, there is there is some truth to that, especially with young men and who, who find sort of lack purpose. And especially in the fact that young men are, are ignored more often than not for, for, for the problems that they have. They are, you know, mar marginalized quite a lot in our, mar in our yeah. society. Um, for when they struggle and because there is that assumption of well, you've just got to do it yourself. And we know that we do. And that's the thing. It's like we know that we do, but we don't often know where to start. Yeah. And so I, I like this idea of just like start with the simple stuff first, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah, my, yeah. my recommendation for you, go and buy his book. <laughs> I'm not being, I'll, I'll I'm not being sponsored or anything. Are you on commission? Um, <laughs> no, unfortunately not. <laughs> you need a tool to track that. Um, so, yeah. uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, you know, the, one of the um, things that because um, I've been working with these growth guides and they're, and they're talking about having a founder story is one of the biggest things that we talk about within right. yeah. within our sales process and, and, and kind of speaking to customers and, and I always and say especially well, to not, investors right I mean that narrative is very compelling for investors because it gives you them a sense of who you are and whether you're right. the person to, to make the money right exactly and, and yeah and I, and I was like well the trouble is that you know part of my story is that I've been made redundant three times you know and um, I've and I walked away from a kind of a very good career, you know, on the motorways to come down to the southwest. Yeah. Um, you know, so that, you know, is that something to kind of really kind of glow about? And they were like, well, have you ever been out of work? Then I was like, well, no. Even, so even when every time I've been made redundant or I've left a place of work, I've never gone more than 24 hours without being in, in employment. Mm. You know, and, and, you know, that was, you know, the height of the COVID thing when people were losing their jobs left, right, and center, especially in the motor trade. You know, I literally, the day that I got my redundancy notice, I had a job offer that very same afternoon. Right. When I when I yeah. first got made redundant from the um, Toyota dealership that went under, my first you know first seven months, I mean I could have joined back up again, um, mm. and I would have, and I would have been straight back in the military. It would have been a completely different story. Um, but I hit the I you know I put my suit on, put my shoes on, and went out to every dealership, and I had a job within twenty four hours 
working at the local boxing dealership. Mm. You know, and I think well, and, that's, is- and that's why context matters because, like, yeah, in co- you know, without context, it's like, oh, you know, like like the, the sort of going back to looking at the CV thing. It's like if you mm. just looked at the dates of your employment, then it's like, oh, yeah. you know. But actually, wow. within context, as, as a grander story, it's like this guy is very investable or is very hireable. Like it's it's a completely different story, right? Yeah. Um. So yeah, context matters. <laughs> yeah, it makes a massive difference. <laughs> yeah. It makes a massive difference. Yeah. Well, look, we're coming up to the last 10 minutes already. I don't know where the time's gone, <laughs> as is usually the case in these things. Um, yeah, it flies by, and I still have a ton of questions more, which is a shame. So we'll definitely have to do a part two of it for at some point in the future. Yeah, definitely. And then, uh, and, and not only about you to, to you know to delve in more about you as a founder and so on, but because I still have more questions about you know the transition from, from into foundership and all of that. But um, but uh, so we'll definitely do that. But also to get an update on where things are with the business as a whole, because if you know next yeah. time we catch up, a lot more would have happened because things happen quick in this in this space, don't they? So um, you know yeah. even what at the beginning about the stuff that's happened since we went since we first spoke. So so we'll definitely have to do that if you're up for it. I, I, I'd love to have you back on and talk more about it. Um, and of course we'll keep you in touch next time. But but as we've got a couple of minutes left, but there is something that I do like to do at the end of this. The only other bit of fucking structure in this whole, uh, in this whole thing. <laughs> which is not all the time, but sometimes I, I ask um, my guests this. Um, so it's a bit more cliche and it's a bit more broad, but I do like to ask it. So I think it's important. So the majority of my listeners are entrepreneurs or founders themselves or or want to be you know, entrepreneurs and founders themselves. Um, and so um, I think it's good to try and impart some wisdom. And now naturally we've done that in the conversation, but I'm thinking, you know, very specifically, do you have anything um, in mind that you would, that would be useful to impart that you've learned on the journey of becoming a, you know, an entrepreneur, a founder, um uh yeah just useful useful tips or or things that you think people should be maybe focused on be prepared to climb some walls <clears throat> it may sound daft but the 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 whole route from kind of first starting out on the fundraising and there was a a wall there was a a boundary every day you know right. and it was if that was i mean you know i spoke i i sent out probably 20 to 30 messages or emails a day when i was going through the fundraising thing you know mm-hmm. and you know, I I received maybe two replies out of those, and one of those was always a no. The other one was a maybe not right now. It was and it was, it was really hard work, and it was quite demoralising yeah. um, to to have that. Um, you know, to kind of kind of wake up in the morning and just know you're just going to get nowhere, and that's what it feels like is you're getting nowhere. Um, but ultimately, I just kind of you just kind of kept at it, and I tried different angles. You know, it, it, you know, pivot try new things, look at something different. Um, I, I, again, I was, um, uh, I was assisted by, as I Toby at Blue Mongoose, he sent them, he sent them this list to me and said, Rich, these guys are apparently looking for investments right now. And it was like, a, a, there's 10 different um, funds on there that was going to, I applied to all of them. The startup funding company was on there and they kind of came in as one of our lead investors. Um, and that opened up extra funding for us later on the da- down the line, because we, um, they gave us a target of raising another 40k by range investment to unlock 80k from the British Business Bank. Right. So, and that's you know, and that, and that you know, is is that when we talk about it, it's, you, when you, you you've got to do what you got to do, mm-hmm. you know. So if they say you need to jump through that, hey, just go jump through it, you know, and, and do it with as much vigor and do it as as, as well as you possibly can. Yeah, and if you get if you if you jump through that you know if you jump for that hoop and there's a wall on the other side and you hit it, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, go again, do it again, do it again, do it again. It's gonna hurt, you know. And it is, you know, there there were times when there were, you know, I, I admit that there were times when I was, you know, almost debating saying to my other half, "Shit, I'm just going to get another job," you know. I'll go and get, I'll get, I'll, you know, forget this fundraising lark, you know, forget this. This is just this is just mental. Um, 
but it's just having that resilience and that kind of place of mind to go actually no there i've got something here you know believe in what you've got if, if you believe that what you've got is going to make a difference just go for it you know mm. um again yeah. regret having done it than not having had a go right yeah i think that's a really important point because a lot of founders i speak to you know as you can imagine i speak to a lot um on a weekly basis and and they're usually going through the funding stage and you know to be honest the majority of the time i, I take a look, one look at a business and say you shouldn't be doing that in a way but those that are uh those that are doing it at the right time because let's be honest most people do it too early right you know or, or yeah. they haven't figured out a lot about their business to, to make it investable in a way or they're not investable yet there's a ton of reasons and i usually 99 percent of the time i'm like well you shouldn't be focusing on this you're not going to get it so don't worry about it now come back to it but for those that are doing it at the right time more often than not as well when I ask them, well, what are you doing? Like, what's your, you know, how often, how many people, people are you messaging a day? What's your cadence? So like, what are you doing? Because it's sales, it's outbound sales, right? It's like, oh, well, you know, like I might might send out a few emails a day or a few. It's like, you're not going to yeah. get anywhere with that. It's That's not enough of a sample size to know whether or not it's working. You need to be doing it at scale. I'm not saying like a thousand emails a day automated and, and it's all going to go into spam folders, but there needs to be a system. And it, you know, you need to be continually doing it. And you need it, to do your research. You need to kind of make right. sure that the people that you're speaking to or at least asking to speak to are a right fit for your business. Exactly. Yeah, you know, and that's yeah. one of the things I did. I, you know, I tried look, finding those tenuous links, but I was also looking for people that actually weren't necessarily looking into my area, but might be interested in right area yeah um, adjacent to, to what their interests are maybe yeah um, and i'm you know i i i haven't put a number on it i should you know i should go back into my emails and my message and see how many i sent out but i probably sent in excess of two and a half thousand three thousand emails and messages yeah. to potential investors you know and yes i got the fundraising from the back of it but I had to send those 3,000 to get to where I did. If you're only going to put five minutes in and send a couple of messages, you're not going to get there. It's as simple as that. You're not going to speak to You've got to put in the work. You've got to put in the work. Yeah, definitely. Like I spoke to someone recently who did door-to-door -door sales early in their career, and he talked to me about how it taught him a lot about being a founder because um, doing that door-to-door -door sales, he realized that you know knocking on 150 doors a day um, which was under his target, he said. You know, Admittedly, he was like one of the fewer that he was you know, compared to the, his team. Uh, who were doing 200 250 and so on out of the 150 you know maybe 10 would open the door and out of the 10 that would open the door would have conversations with two and out of the two one would tell them to fuck off and the other would say yeah all right leave some information and that was his day every day yeah yeah like, that's the reality of building something from nothing that's the fundraising that's the founder right that's what it is and and it's not just fund fundraising it's everything isn't it every aspect of being a founder is like that like you said walls non-stop but it's yep. understanding that there's, you know, beyond that, there's, yeah, there's more walls, <laughs> but eventually there are none. <laughs> if that door slams in your face, climb through the window. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or bash it down. Like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bring yeah. up the time. <laughs> Good advice, good advice. I mean, essentially what you're describing there is, yeah, be, be, be resilient, but um, but 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 in a practical terms, it's good, good advice, yeah. good advice. So look, man, I'll let you go, but thank you again Great. so much um, uh, for your time and being generous yeah, with you your time you. and your your story and everything like that. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely keep in touch and 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 I'll be following along what you're doing and cheering you on as I do with all of the founders I speak to because of um, we're kindred spirits. Do you know what I mean? So uh, we've got to support <laughs> yeah. each other. Um, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, and and I'd love to get you on again in future. Yeah, brilliant. Look forward to part two. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Well, Thanks, thank you again so much. Have a great rest of the week, and uh, we'll speak to you, mate. See you now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening and door watching. Please like and subscribe and join in the conversation in the comments below.